Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Dan for Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers, here to share the easiest way to buy tires. Come to Dobbs. With the best tire brands and the biggest inventory, you'll get your tires the same day at the lowest price, guaranteed. Next time you need tires, get into Dobbs. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. would say no, but it could have been a lot worse coming out of that weekend series at Wrigley. I mean, a ton worse. I thought Ali, this was his best job in terms of trying to, you know, navigate a really delicate situation with five games in four days in a ballpark that sometimes the blow, the wind's blowing out and all of a sudden, you know, you're giving up four or five home runs or a ton of runs, sometimes push guys to the point of being uncomfortable. And that may have been the case uh, last night with Cabrera. That was Danny Mack on with Carriker and Smallman earlier today alongside Alex Ferrario in just one day of Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. No, Tanner's not getting fired, surprisingly enough. Uh, he's just going on vacation for the rest of the week. So enjoy the one way. And next week, too. Who are you, BK? He's out next week, too? I'm out three days next week. I'm like, damn, who are five. you, BK? Tanner's taking five. Se- Tanner has seven days of vacation to burn. Damn. Oh, buddy. All right. You know the hockey season ended and I'm still here, right? Yeah. yeah. I haven't taken off any days. And okay. I haven't taken vacation in like a off. month. Yeah. Other than Pittsburgh, Two weeks. but not a big cool. deal. He's going to be gone for like a whole month in June. That's true. Wait, July. He's going to be sadly mistaken when his vacation lines up with uh, baby Ferrario number two. The month of October, I'm out of here, boys. Uh, Same. Great timing for the Cardinals playoff run. Speaking of the Cardinals, (laughs) they played four games in roughly 52 hours over the weekend and used a grand total, Alex, of 11 pitchers to do so, despite the fact that they more or less used an opener in two of those four games. That was one of the more impressive managerial weekends that I've seen in recent years. Ollie Marmel over the weekend, what we saw was him putting his stamp on the 2022 Cardinal season. Now, what you saw over the weekend was not sustainable and does not need to be sustainable. But for all of the hand wringing about the Cardinals running into this innings crunch and oh boy, how are they going to be able to get through? The great boogie monster of 2022 is here. The boogie monster. <laughs> These innings will find a way to get covered when you are creative in your approach in doing so. And over the weekend, my God, did we see some creativity. Ollie Marmel did not just manage to win that game. He also managed to not lose the next one. And that's what impressed me, man. Friday night, Zach Thompson, we're going to get into him later on today. 
four innings was super impressive. Game one of the doubleheader, Johan Oviedo, not great, but get you through five. Then Jake Woodford comes in again. He's fine. Not great. Get you through three. You get out of that game. You fight to live another day. Andre Pallante, game two of that doubleheader up and down. He had a lot of base runners on, especially early. Get you through four. You had Helsley get you through two and two thirds. Gallegos, two innings. And then last night, the coup de gras, Hennessy Cabrera, four innings and one of the more impressive relief appearances that we've seen by a Cardinal so far this season and really by a Cardinal in recent years. That is what the Cardinals were talking about when they said we need a new approach, a more modern approach to our pitching staff. We saw Ollie Marmol put his stamp on the 2022 season yesterday. Yeah, and I thought the biggest moment for where you saw Ollie Marmol as the manager moment was last night with Henesis Cabrera because I, I, I would say I, I think the two previous managers would have gone to Cabrera that second time but the third time that Cabrera went back out there, we would have been talking about Packy Naughton, Jake Walsh, or uh, TJ McFarland. I thought for sure we were going to see that last night. Yeah, I did too. we were I, all texting. We we're like, so who do you go to next? I think you probably see Packy. There's absolutely no way, shape, or form that I believe Mike Schilt would have kept Hennessy Cabrera in there for three, possibly four innings. And neither do. 25 other managers in baseball. And that's what made me so excited. This isn't just an anti-Mike Schilt point. It's a pro Ali Marmo point. You now have a manager that gives you a tactical advantage compared to most of the other teams across baseball. See, this is fascinating to me because like this, look, by no means are we celebrating a World Series right here, but like this was a impressive weekend in my opinion because you were backed up against the wall. In fact, of having very little pitching depth to deal with. And we've already got a text that said they went three and two against a sub 500 team. Hardly anything to get all giddy about. Get excited if when the Cardinals do something more amazing. In my opinion, this is probably the most impressive feat this season by the Cardinals. To get through that weekend where you played five games in four days, where you had two of your pitchers go long enough to where you didn't have to abuse your bullpen. So that means three of those games, you had to overuse your bullpen and you got out of that with a winning series. That's impressive to me. And he probably should have lost last night if we're being completely honest with you. I mean, Adam Wainwright didn't have his best stuff, did a great job to battle through it. And then like we're talking about, Cabrera came in and gave you four innings because I truly thought they were going to pull him after the second inning because I've never seen him go two plus. I've seen him cover two before. Nothing two plus like that. And the options in the bullpen, I mean, we were talking about they had... I think it was that fourth inning that Cabrera was pitching. They had Whitgren and Walsh up in the bullpen. But Ollie says, I trust this guy to do his job and cover the innings that I have, and he's going to remain effective. I mean, he was a starter down in the minor leagues. His first appearance ever as a St. Louis Cardinal was a spot start, I believe, in Philadelphia, and it didn't go well. But he's retuned up to where he has his command. Now you feel comfortable with him. You go to him for that long bullpen. I mean, they could have easily lost three of five in this series. They could have easily lost four of five in that series, but they walk away and they take three of five, and now they got the day off, which is huge. Massive. And now they're on their way to Tampa Bay. And you talk about a manager who earned the respect from his players over the weekend. That's what Ali Marmol just garnered if he didn't have it already because the report was Hennessy Cabrera told him yesterday that, hey, I got four innings in me, yeah. and Ali Marmol gave it to him. Yeah, he said, oh, you sure about that big guy? If I'm <laughs> Ali Marmol, he says, hey, man, hey um, Skip, I got four innings in me. No, nah, you got two and that's all i'm giving you he gave him four he put on his big boy pants yesterday (laughs) you think you're a big boy (laughs) you put on your big boy pants 
It was an impressive performance by Hennessy Cabrera. I saw this from Jeff Jones yesterday. He tweeted this out after the game. He said the last time the Cardinals used two or fewer pitches, pitchers in an 11 inning game was the year I was born. Oh. June 27th of 1992. It was Donovan Osborne. He covered nine. And then Lee Smith, one of our favorites here on the show. I, I think friend of the show at this point. He covered two in the back end. You had four four innings from Hennessy Cabrera, man. You had two different relief appearances over the weekend in which your reliever went four innings for you to finish out the game. That's that is remarkable. I mean, I, I know that there are going to be people that push back against this three out of five against a bad cut. I, I don't even care. I, I don't care. I do not care what the ultimate results were in those. And I know people are going to hear that and they're going to say, what are you talking about? All that matters is wins and losses in the end, in the grand scheme of things. Sure. But the Cardinals ability to keep their bullpen mostly fresh didn't just help them win three out of five against the Cubs. It also allowed them to play a normal series this week against the Rays and then into the Red series as well. That's why this is so important. You're not just managing for today. You're also managing for the next series. And the fact that they have an off day today went into some of these decisions because that allows you to hit the reset button once again for a lot of those arms coming out of your bullpen. The other thing that I think is really cool is they're reimagining the way that you can go about it with these arms. Helsley was a starter in the minors. Cabrera was a starter in the minors. Zach Thompson is still a starter. So is Jake Woodford. Uh, Verhagen was brought in this year as a starter. So when you have these guys that have been on starters rests before, what is better for you? Especially with a guy like Helsley, who's not going back to back anyways. You're going one out of every three or four days, no matter what. Is it better for me to get two innings or more out of him today? Rest him for maybe an extra day on the back end of that? Or is it better for me to go one today and then one two days from now and then reset that thing all over again? The Cardinals over the weekend decided it's better for us to extend these guys. Yeah, they're going to be down tomorrow, but we believe we have the coverage to find a way to get through this thing. And they did it. And that is a to be able to have that kind of creativity. I got to give credit to Maddox. I got to give credit to Marmel. I got to give credit to Skip Schumacher, the entire coaching staff to be able to get through this weekend the way that they did. And now I feel good about it going into the Tampa Bay Ray series. Honestly, this was a very Tampa Bay Rays type of plan. And that is something that so many teams try to replicate and fail. They fail to do so. The Cardinals succeeded in doing it over the weekend. And if there's one thing we know, your pitchers are going to be able to get the rest because the next guy that starts is Dakota Hudson. So get your potential ace on the mound. You know your bullpen's not going to be needed tomorrow. I guess tomorrow. we should talk about the innings crunch uh, coming up this week in Tampa Bay. <laughs> Can't wait. It's going to be great. No, we don't. Well, that'll be the Wednesday when you have a, a you know bullpen start. One other thing that I wanted to get into here. Guys, I was worried when the Cardinals lost Alex Reyes that they would be missing him coming out of that bullpen. You cried that day, I think. Big tears. The yeah, audio. Tear in my beer. Alligator tears. You don't have a beard. Last year, he threw 72 That's innings. That's not what I said. <laughs> it certainly did not end the way that any of us would have liked, and down the stretch, he faltered. We all know that. But 72 innings, 3.2 ERA. That's a really good season by any standard for a reliever. And then coming into this year, the hope was it's not going to be your closer anymore, but he can give you that bridge, right? He can bridge the gap between the 
fifth and the seventh. He can give you multiple innings. Then he's off for a few days. Probably the role, honestly, that Jordan Hicks is going to fill whenever he returns from the IL. They have found a way to cover that with what they're getting right now from Andre Pallante, a guy who Tanner mentioned in his T-Bone 3, what was it, six months ago now? Like September of last year, I think. Is what People it was. knew it was coming because they listened to BK and Ferrari. Andre Pallante is now on pace for 85 innings with a 1.2 ERA. Damn. And if you look at the underlying numbers, Alex, he's actually been better than what Alex Reyes was last year. The fielding independent stuff, I don't want to go too far into it. But basically, what is your batted ball metrics say that you would be? Is he blue or red? He's he's red. He's Uh in the the good. It's good. He's a 3.65 fifth this year, which is pretty solidly above average in Major League Baseball right now. Andre Pallante has fixed that role that you thought you were going to be missing out of Alex Reyes. And over the weekend, again, it was not a perfect start by him, but it bought you time. And for him to get through four and to give you a chance to be in that game, man, Andre Pallante, what he's done so far this year has really, really saved your bullpen. Yeah, I mean, he has filled that void. And I was telling you, man, to think when healthy, how many versatile pitchers you have in your bullpen. And I mean, Palante kind of leads the pack in this category, but with a Drew Verhagen and now what we saw with Zach Thompson, I mean, you have multiple guys who can give you three or four innings if need be out of the bullpen, which I think truly only the teams that are, are division candidate winners. Those are the teams that have those players on the roster in plethora, like the Blue, the Cardinals do. So the fact that we saw that from Andre Pallante, you're right. That fills the void of an Alex Reyes. But more importantly, he leads a pack of multiple guys that Ali Marmol is going to be able to use down the stretch and say, hey, if we need three or four innings, we've got these guys available. Yeah, I, I don't know if the Cardinals plan this season, especially when they decided to go with Hicks in the rotation to start things off in that five spot. And you knew you were going to be cautious with the Dakota Hudson. I don't know if the Cardinals pitching plans work this year if you don't get someone that replaced the production you were expecting from Alex Reyes. And that's what makes it so impressive with Andre Pallante because, look, I knew he was a starter in the minor leagues and I reading up on his scouting report, everybody said he was going to be a bullpen arm. I didn't expect it to be this kind of bullpen arm. I expected him basically to be your inning guy, give you about the sixth inning, but never be able to really stretch him out when he moved to the bullpen. But the fact of the matter that the Cardinals have been able to continue to keep him stretched out, honestly, he's now a guy that's vying for that fifth rotation spot. Like, if you just told me you could replace him in the rotation for Pacquinan, it would make a ton of sense, in my opinion. It'd be what the Cardinals would do if Reyes were healthy and he was pitching well out of the bullpen and a spot came up, what would they do? They'd probably turn to Alex Reyes for a spot start. And that's why it's so important that Pallante's been able to fill this void of what Alex Reyes was supposed to be this year. Remember in the offseason we were talking about Colin McHugh? guy that was pitching for the Rays last year and he was kind of the opener slash bullpen arm that they Mm -hmm. had he finished the season last year with 37 appearances he had seven quote-unquote starts most of them went like two or three innings kind of like what we saw over the weekend from Pallante honestly he finished the year with 64 innings and a 1.55 ERA what the Cardinals have done is instead of going out and handing that whatever seven million dollar contract 10 million dollar contract actually to Colin McHugh They turned it over to a young guy and they said, Palante, we think you're going to be ready to have this role instead of us going out there and acquiring a guy like Colin McHugh. I thought that was risky going into the season. It turns out that was the right decision. And this is why I know last week we talked a lot about the the possibility of the Cardinals acquiring a guy like Dallas Keuchel, who was just DFA'd recently. 
The reason why I was opposed to it is because I want to see these young guys get an opportunity first. If they fail, then let's go that route, right? Then we can go the reclamation projects just like the Cardinals did last year with TJ McFarland and Wade LeBlanc or the two starters that they got at the deadline. You can go make those moves. Those guys are always available, constantly. But I don't want to lose those guys. That's my only concern because if you get into a situation like this again where you're going to have to go four straight games of using your bullpen 11 guys in four or five games, that is a recipe for disaster. So that's why a Dallas Keuchel would be fine. If you're going to get blown up, at least give a guy who you know you don't have to abuse your bullpen with. But that's what Oviedo's here for. Like what you got this weekend out of you're basically saying, Hey, Johan, you're never going to be a part of this team, but just get us through some of these bad spots. Yeah. Woof. That's exactly right. You were, he's, he is, he's, he's, he is the same pitcher today that he was when he came up in 2020. You're like sacrificing a lamb in this circumstance because it's like, Hey, sometimes you got to. And then when he goes down, he can continue working on things. Wouldn't you rather sacrifice it with a guy whose career is probably done in the majors than a guy who's trying to get a career in the majors? I mean, you're trying to find out if you're going to be able to squeeze anything more out of Johan Oviedo. And eventually, I think Johan Oviedo might be able to develop into a major league starter. He's not mentally broken by the end of this. Well, he's he's going back down to AAA, and hopefully he can continue work on things. But Johan Oviedo is a more talented pitcher at this point in his career than what you're getting out of a Dallas Keuchel. So Dallas Keuchel, maybe it's not that specific name. Somebody like that is going to become available in a month and then again in two months and then again at the trade deadline. Like those guys are always out there. So right now, I think they're going about it the right way and finding out what you have internally. And then later on, we can figure out if there are veterans that we need to add to this roster. But you don't get a Zach Thompson if you don't give him the opportunity to come up and play. That's what you got to find out first. Lots more on the Cardinals throughout the day today. We've got Katie Wu coming up here in about 15 minutes or so. But coming up next, the Blues might end up being the only team from the Western Conference to beat the Avalanche. What does that mean? And what does that say about the playoff structure? We'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kiley. Katie Woo's joining the show coming up here in about 10 minutes or so. Alex, we could see the end of the Western Conference final tonight. It just started. It did. It did indeed. The uh, abs are up three, nothing on Edmonton. Now Edmonton is expected to be without Evander Kane tonight. He's been suspended for the hit that he had on awesome Kadri. Kadri also out for tonight and likely the rest of this series, potentially the rest of the playoffs. We'll set that aside for a second. The abs are up three. Oh, The Avs went up 4-0 and swept away the Nashville Predators in the first round, which means if the Avs win tonight, the only team they played in the Western Conference that got any wins against the Colorado Avalanche were your St. Louis Blues. All right. Celebrate. Alex, what does this say about the Western Conference? I mean, in all reality, it says that Colorado just had inferior opponents other than the St. Louis Blues. Essentially, what we saw in the second round should have been the Western Conference final because the Blues gave Colorado a fight. And here's the thing. People's argument would be, well, yeah, well, look at who they faced in net for the Nashville Predators. And well, with Edmonton, Mike Smith, who is their number one, essentially is like a number two. Well, Colorado played against a number two on St. Louis's side, and that number two picked up a victory against Colorado. So 
I think what it says, in my opinion, is the St. Louis Blues are on the same level as the Colorado Avalanche. It's no more, in my opinion, Colorado and then other teams. St. Louis is on that level with Colorado. And a lot of this is the narrative for me believing that with Bennington and at least Tory Krug, they're beating Colorado in that best of seven series. But they're going to find their way into a Stanley Cup championship only losing twice. And it is fascinating to think about that those two losses came against a team that they saw in the second round. Whereas look at the Eastern Conference. Hypothetically, let's say the Rangers find a way to beat Tampa Bay. The Rangers had to go to a game seven, a game Two game sevens, I was trying to think that second round against Carolina, that went seven, and then they had to go potentially whatever this series goes. Yep. And Colorado sitting on the other side, four, six, and four. I think this tells me St. Louis is on the same level as the Colorado Avalanche moving into next season. See, I've still got them at like not a tier below, but like I think it's the abs one. They are the clear cut. Sorry, man. I almost choked. <laughs> You, you guys okay over here? Look, I pe- can't. He was dying over look, there. Okay? Peek behind the curtain. I got my my new teeth, and there's a lot of saliva that builds up when I talk because, and I almost just choked right there. Okay. Keep going, please. All right, here we Thanks go. Thanks for pointing that Take out, T-Bone. Jerk. So I think Someone that it is it. the the abs. It's really hard for me to look at what's happened in these playoffs and say like the Blues are clear cut, like one one A one B with them. I would go abs one. The Blues are the the two right now in the Western Conference, and then I think it's basically everybody else. Everybody slots in behind those two teams, at least for me, and I, I think that's the way that we kind of viewed it going into the playoffs, and this is why we were so frustrated by the way that the playoffs were situated. You looked at the possibility of the Blues taking on the Avs in the, in the second round, and we said this. I know Greg Wyshynski said it. That's your Western Conference final, and we all knew it at the time, and it still feels that way today. And this is why I think the the NHL needs to go back to one through eight seeding in in the conferences. Like if you had in the Western Conference, the one through eight, you still would have seen Colorado versus Nashville, but you would have had Minnesota versus Dallas. I think there's a good chance Dallas wins that series. You had a Calgary versus L.A. And then the Blues would have taken on Edmonton in the first round. And if you reseed after that, which is what I think they should do in the playoffs, You would have then seen Dallas potentially take on Colorado in the second round with the Blues taking on Calgary. I think that makes more sense for the way that this conference should have been constructed in the playoffs. And my hope, and I don't have a whole lot of belief because the NHL tends to kind of keep things stagnant, but my hope would be that in the next few years, we will see a return to that format because I think it is better and more fair for the league to go about it that way. Yeah, well, I think this is why it needs to go back to the one through the eight. And so I went back and looked at this. They did reseed um, when they when they did the one versus eight format in the 93-94 season. The surviving teams were reseeded to play in the conference semifinals and the conference final. So go down the hypothetical path that one five, six, seventh, or eighth place team beats well, a hopefully not first five, through four. Six, well, the five wouldn't, of course, because the, the Blues would win that series. But you're going to get reseeded. So the way that it would work is the Blues in Colorado would have probably seen each other in the Western Conference Final. And in all reality, that is the Western Conference Final. Take a look at what's happening in the Eastern Conference right now. That's an Eastern Conference Final matchup. You have two really good teams going head-to-head. You don't have one team blowing the other team out of the water like Tampa did in the Florida Panthers series. That was the second-round matchup. So I I just think for the NHL... Moving forward, and it's not going to happen because Gary Bettman basically said plain and simple uh, before the playoffs began that everything is going to stay the same. He likes the way that it is. 
But you should go back to the one through eight here because you're going to get more entertainment as it builds towards it. And I think the teams that make it out of that first and second round when you're going one through eight, if a seven or eight seed makes it, well, they're supposed to be there then rather than having this this division alignment where a team is probably a sixth place team and they're finding their way all the way into the Western Conference final. I also like that we're watching Colorado destroy another team offensively the way that we are seeing this right now where Colorado's offense looks the way that it did again in the first round man the Blues made them work for it and I know there's no moral victories and the Blues lost and so we're all like we've moved on to the offseason I understand that. I have it damn it still real to me the Blues made the Avs really work for that series win against St. Louis and I do kind of enjoy the fact that they're making quick work out of Edmondson there's this, this sh- I, I don't even know how to describe it, but there's something inside of me that enjoys the fact that this team and that a lot of people nationally wanted to see the abs play. This they're is, getting shredded this immediately. Is, this is called hate BK and just okay. welcome to my side of the fence where you just have anger take over your body. It feels good, doesn't it? it yeah, it, it does. Because that's, sports what all hate. The, that's what all of these national. Oh, yeah. Sports hate. That's the only thing it is. That's what all these national analysts wanted. They wanted uh, give us Mc, McKinnon and McDavid like, oh, I want to see the Blues lose. Is this what you asked for? Is this what you wanted to see in this series? Because Mike Smith was put up against the ropes in this series. And frankly, I was amazed he played as well as he did to get out of that second round against Calgary. But this is probably the most like this, this. This, in my opinion, is the comparison to Tampa Bay and Florida Panther series where everyone was expecting Florida to put up a fight and Florida looked like a team that was going to go on a run and then they just couldn't do anything. That's what we're seeing right now with Edmonton playing against this Colorado Avalanche team. Yeah, it's shot in front. That, that's yeah. that's what's happening right now. Well, is like I, I'm enjoying the misery of somebody else. <laughs> Colorado's not using Darcy Kemper here, so it's not like, uh, I mean. That's the craziest part. Yeah. They're playing with their backup goalie right now in net, and maybe he's better. With Alex Ferrario well, yeah, and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie coming up at 15 minutes. We'll get to some questions and answers. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. But next, Katie Wu, Cardinals insider for The Athletic, joins us to talk about Zach Thompson's role with the team when the team is going to get Carlson and O'Neill back. And what if Brendan Donovan is just like really good at baseball? We'll talk about it all with Katie Wu coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. Very happy to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line right now to talk to our Cardinals insider for 101 ESPN and the Athletic. She is Katie Wu joining us as she does each and every Monday throughout the Cardinals baseball season. Katie, we appreciate the time as always. I know you were off over the weekend on vacation. How you doing this morning? I'm doing well, you guys. Was able to watch the condensed version of five games in one night. I wouldn't recommend doing that for your overall health, but I feel semi-caught up. And it appears I, I missed some things. I mean, it's, I've gotten a couple of requests on Twitter to go back on vacation because the Cardinals are now a season high nine games over 500 and half a game back from Milwaukee. And if that's what Cardinals fans want from me, if that's <laughs> what I can contribute to their happiness, I'm more than happy to go back on vacation. Good luck with that, Katie. We've been trying to get BK to just yeah, get off the airwaves for the entire relate. Cardinals season because of the BKO. I'm curious, does the condensed version, does it involve just watching highlights or are we, are we like on TiVo fast forwarding through things to it's get like through? listening to a podcast at two and a half speed, I would imagine. Oh man, that's you like know, the really chipmunks. Depends, right? 
it really depends. It's not my, my most favorite thing to do. I would obviously prefer to be at the games in real time. But when you have to fit in five, um, it was more or less watching the highlights, watching significant plays, maybe watching an inning where you already know where the dramatics are happening. Um, but it does no, it does no justice in actually being at the games. But you know, you got to do what you got to do. I'll be back with the team on Friday for the homestand, and then going forward until whenever their season ends, which at this point is looking at some point in October. So we'll see. But you watch the condensed version on the beach, though, right, Katie? I'm assuming. <laughs> No, from the airport. No, no. Not, yeah, way, yeah. way less glamorous. Oh, God, that's awful. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> we're going to get into some of the things that happened from, you know, the players on the field over the weekend. But let's start with Ollie Marmel, because I think there's two things that stood out to me from him over the weekend. One was, of course, his form of getting thrown out of the game, which was just tremendous, as good as you could possibly ask for. But also his usage of the bullpen, Katie. We've been told all year how he's going to be creative. There are going to be fewer roles, and he's going to utilize these guys in different ways than what we have come to expect in the past. And most of what we had seen so far this year was pretty traditional for the most part, although you would see some different roles and different usages there. This weekend was completely different. I felt like this was the weekend that we saw Ali Marmol put his stamp on the Cardinal season, especially from his bullpen usage. What did you think about the way that he navigated having all of those pitchers going multiple innings against the Cubs? Well, first thing, I want to backtrack to the ejection, which was, Please. in fact, the very first thing that I watched. Um, textbook form, wonderful execution. The throwing iPad was a nice touch. Um, I think that you get some major baller points when you try to eject the umpire in your own first ejection. So, again, 10 out of 10, I will be telling him this to his face. I very much thought that that was very well executed. Agreed. Um, but, but probably not as well executed as his bullpen moves over the weekend, uh, over the series in Chicago. You're right. We, we talked a lot about, and Ollie has said a lot about, how he expects the bullpen to be versatile. He doesn't there expect, he expect there to be a lot of traditional roles. But for the most part, mine is sometimes a little uh, slip, switching around of Ryan Helsley and Giovanni Gallegos. We've seen some pretty traditional usage. I think what we saw from Ollie Marmel today was an example of how to stretch the absolute most from your relievers. Keep in mind, we've been talking about how taxed bullpen has been since the New York series in mid-May. The Cardinals have had to rely on a lot from their relievers. Um, and this goes back to where how important the depth is in AAA as well, that they're able to reshuffle these guys in and out. But the fact is, Ollie didn't really have much of a choice when it came to relying on these guys to go the extra innings, the high leverage situations, um, because there really wasn't any more depth to go. Um, so I think there was a lot of credit on how he was, how that was executed, how he mapped it out, how he's looking at the best situations for each pitcher, how long can each go, and then the overall execution of it. I mean, we there's two things that come to mind, right? The Zach Thompson who went four innings in his professional major league debut, and then what Henesis Cabrera did last night, and what I think was the most dramatic win of the season. I mean, you don't really normally ask for that out of those guys in the situation, but given how things have panned out over the last couple of weeks, there was no choice. And Ollie Marmel said, "Hey, you better you better get with it or get lost." Essentially, and it worked out. I thought, like you said, it was really indicative of the kind of managing that Ollie's capable of, and what we can expect to see in these high leverage games down the stretch of the summer. Katie, how much do, does all of those performances over the weekend change the arsenal for Ali Marmol moving forward? I mean, we were just talking about this a little bit ago, knowing that you have an Andre Palat who can give you four innings or not Andre Palat. I'm looking at a hockey Palante. player, Palante, close, close enough, uh, knowing that you can, <laughs> knowing that you have guys like Drew Verhagen and Packy Naughton who can give you the distance if need be. I mean, to me, that seems like it changes an awful lot for the pitching depth. It does, absolutely. I mean, you saw uh, Ollie say over the series in Tampa, you know, you know, Dakota Hudson starting Tuesday, TBD Wednesday, TBD Thursday, because they'd like to be able to buy 
Wainwright and Michaelis an extra day at this point. And you're able to do that when you have so many long relievers that are so versatile and can do so many different things. You have Verhagen, you have Packy Naughton, you have Andre Pallante, who I think has been one of the more underrated guys on the squad when you think about what he's done over the entire season. Um, and you have Zach Townsend. I'm not sure how long Johan Oviedo will remain on the club, just all right, it's out of necessity. You know, who's going out when other people come in. Um, but he certainly is capable of doing that. It certainly seems like the Cardinals have this prototype of pitcher that they're really relying on, you know, and it goes down to a lot of things. They're not necessarily looking at, you know, just what can you do? They really, I think, emphasize stuff more than they have in the past and flexibility of the role. All these guys have such fluid abilities to either go an inning, go multi-innings, long relief, spot start, that it gives the Cardinals the flexibility that they really need. And you think about where this team was exactly a year ago at this point. It's a complete 180, and I think you're seeing the results of what happens when you have enough pitching depth. Though it may not have been what Cardinals fans had expected or wanted scripted at the start of the season, compared to where they were in 2021, where they had virtually two starters and no help at all. Katie, you mentioned Zach Thompson. Do you think he's going to stay up? And if so, what do you expect his role to be with this team? I think it'll depend a little bit on performance, but I think, like I said, Zach Thompson fits that prototype of being able to do multiple things at multiple times. I mean, when he was coming up to the Cardinal system, highly regarded prospect, of course, was looking at as a potential left-handed starter. Well, the Cardinals have two of those already. I know Matthew Libertor is back in AAA, but, you know, we can expect that we'll see him throughout the rest of the season. Steven Matz has been throwing bullpens in St. Louis. Doesn't seem to be too far away from a return. But what Zach Thompson can do, as we've seen, is he can also pitch out of relief. He's worked really hard to perfect his arsenal and add a secondary breaking pitch. That was something that he was working on in the Arizona Fall League when I spoke with him in November, something that the Cardinals have essentially told him at the end of his 2021 season, where he wasn't as successful as either party would have liked him to be. They said, hey, you need to develop this other pitch, and this is what we think is going to work for you. But you need to start doing it, and that's why you're going to the Arizona Fall League. That's what you're going to be working on through the spring, and he has. So... Well, I don't necessarily know if Zach Thompson is going to remain on the club throughout the season. I do expect we'll see him, like we see Libertor, called up when needed. Um, and the fact that he can pitch in multiple, multiple situations, can spot start, again, fits that prototype that Ollie Marmel and the Cardinals really seem to like out of their relievers. I have, you know, a lot of confidence that this is not the only time that we'll see Zach Thompson. Katie, on the uh, injury front and the rehab purposes, what kind of updates can you give us on Tyler O'Neill, Jack Flaherty, and Dylan Carlson? Sure. I mean, it was a little weird. Uh, not only did I watch those five games condensed version, I also watched a rehab start from the airport. <laughs> right. Well, the time flew by at the airport, Katie. You know, I had a five-hour layover, so I was like, well, now's the time. Um, uh, you know, Jack Flaherty was dominant. Uh, and again, he takes 30 pitches. Cardinals had scripted him for 40 to 45, so he did 30 pitches in three innings, just just mowed down through the, his Arkansas opponents uh, and then finished his night in the bullpen with a couple of additional pitches. Everything was working. Fastball touch up to 96. Great command over the curveball was able to drop it in. Slider looks good. Um, talked to Jack very briefly. He said things felt great. Cardinals, of course, will reevaluate. Look, results are certainly important, but they're often secondary in rehab starts. Do they come second to recovery and how he's feeling? So they'll give him probably a day or two to get back. They'll see if he needs to repeat the 40 to 45 track or if he can bump up to 60, 60 pitches, that is. Whether that is at double A or triple A Memphis really ultimately. Uh, depends on the schedule, but certainly a great showing from Jack Flaherty. Very exciting. Didn't know what year it was when you look and you see Dylan Carlson in right field, also in Springfield with Jack on the mound. Uh, Dylan hasn't, has not uh, compiled a hit yet in his three rehab starts, but again, results are secondary. Tyler O'Neill, however, on the other hand, for Memphis, three hit day on Friday. 
hit what served as the game-winning home run on Saturday. Talked to Tyler also very briefly. You know, things are coming along for him. A big test for him yesterday was playing in the field, making sure that shoulder's ready for game action. So both the good news, both Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill remain in play to possibly rejoin the team for that Tampa Bay series. Certainly would be great to have not one, but both back. Katie Wu is our guest for another couple of minutes here on 101 ESPN. Find her work over at The Athletic and be sure to give her a follow on Twitter as well, at Katie J. Wu. Katie, so I've got the list of all of the National League position players who have been more productive offensively since Brendan Donovan uh, got the call up to the big league level. It includes all of seven players. It's Goldie, Harper, Betts, Alonzo, Contreras, and Machado. Those are some pretty good names on the list, to say the least. Is Brendan Donovan just really good? Like, I've been waiting for this to kind of fall off, and it doesn't feel like that's happening. Look, there's a possibility Brendan Donovan is just really good. And what is really remarkable about Donovan, he's played just 35 big league games, and you could hardly tell. His poise when he came up just seemed like he knew he could belong. And keep in mind, the Cardinals weren't asking him to do anything easy. It's not like he has a defined position or a defined role in the batting order. I mean, his first four games in the big leagues, he played all four infield positions, right? He can play a corner outfield. They've relied on him to hit basically one through nine. He's, he's speedy. You know, he's tackled the outfield, even though he may not be the most comfortable in it. He's done everything well. He's been a crucial part of this lineup. He's played nearly every day. And, uh, yeah, there's a possibility that he, uh, he might be pretty good. Um, certainly, Brendan Donovan has been one of the bright spots of the season so far. I mean, what his 319 average ranked second on the team only to Paul Goldschmidt. We know what kind of year Paul Goldschmidt is having. So it's been exciting, I think, for the Cardinals to see. I mean, this, you're talking about a guy who had a legitimate shot to make the club out of spring training, was edged out based on opportunities. But Ollie Marmel and John Mozeliak were both so adamant in saying, we will see him on this club this year. He is going to contribute. And I think what Brendan Donovan has done with his time, with his ability to adjust, to adjust nearly any position, to be an effective left-handed bat has shown, you know, they really can't justify sending him down at this point. He absolutely deserves to stay. Um, and I think that he's done a very good job in crafting an everyday role for him on this team, even if that role fluctuates throughout the day. Katie, we'll get you out of here on this one. Do you have any guesses on who they're going to start Wednesday and Thursday in Tampa? Uh, I have no idea, okay. but I would not be surprised if it's another bullpen game. Um, and I know it's so funny. This is how quickly narratives change in baseball. A week ago, we were talking about how a bullpen, I get, a bullpen game was a really bold strategy because the relievers were tired. But when it goes back to what the theme of this segment has been, the versatility of the relievers, things change so quickly when you bring in those guys that are good for three, four innings, don't necessarily have a scripted role. I can definitely see a bullpen game, maybe something of an Oviedo Thompson piggyback, or maybe just a straight-up bullpen game on Wednesday or Thursday. Cardinals do have two off days in two weeks coming up, so would be a, ch- a chance to utilize that. Interesting. Katie, we always appreciate the time. Thanks for hopping on with us today. We look forward to talking with you again soon and enjoy the series down in Tampa Bay. Guys, always a pleasure. We'll talk next week. Absolutely. That's Katie Wu, Cardinals insider for The Athletic. Check out her work over there and follow her on Twitter. She is at Katie J. Wu. Alex, if I had to project, my guess would be Thompson starts the game on Thursday. Because he played Friday, He was Friday, and down in the minors right now, they're doing the six-man rotation, so it would be five days rest. So that would be his normal rest routine, would be him starting on Thursday. Wednesday is the one that I'm curious about. They did not use Packy Naughton over the weekend so I could see that being a packy start today. Unless they need him tomorrow. Unless they need him tomorrow, that's possible. But your guy, Dakota Hudson's on the mound, so I'm Seven assuming innings. six plus innings out of Seven. him. Say <laughs> sure. it. 
seven innings for sure. Four and um, two-thirds. Well, Nick Whitgren probably gives you a couple of innings that day as well, and then you work your way into the back end of the bullpen. It, it is interesting. Katie mentioned this, and she's absolutely right. This stuff changes so quickly, man. One day you feel like your rotation and your bullpen is just completely fried, and then after a four-day weekend or a four-game weekend at least, you're like, hey, you know what? We're in an okay spot, even if we did have to completely overuse them in a couple of games against Tampa Bay. Cardinals are in a pretty good spot, and I think it helps that they have Michaelis and Wayno back-to-back the two days afterwards against Cincinnati. And I didn't get to ask her, but Steven Matz, is, he's not he's expected his way this back. week, so probably this weekend, next week with Steven Matz. I think he and Jordan might, Hicks, too, right? Um, Hicks is a little further behind, but I think Matz might be getting ready to either go out on a rehab assignment or work his way back. I don't think that he's going to need a rehab assignment. Say they were talking about he wasn't going to need one. So I, you probably could potentially see him not this series like against Sunday. Tampa, but next or this weekend. I was going to say, okay. I wouldn't be surprised if you see him against Cincy or Pittsburgh. He'll so, probably get a start on this home stand. Would be so my Wednesday guess. might just be all hands on deck, like or per yeah. usual with this one, and you might literally see four or five guys, but the hope is once you get through that game that you're back into the cycle, because if Zach Thompson can get you five innings you're back into the cycle and with steven matt's returning you're only filling one void it's gonna be interesting somebody on the text line 65780 is your cover service text line from the 636 guys michaelis is listed as thursday starter he is but all of that is kind of tbd that's just what they insert into the uh expectation until they, they find out what it really is they don't want to start them on short rest correct yeah. so they're well they're going to give them a little bit of extended rest is what they're going to gotcha. do they're going to say monday we're going to pretend as if we had a day there and then just push everybody back by gotcha. one game. Uh, Katie Wu, find her work over at The Athletic. We appreciate her. As always, if you missed any of our conversation with her, check it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com and the free 101 ESPN app. Coming up in 15 minutes or so, we got to continue our conversation about Brendan Donovan, what he did over the weekend, really what he's done since he's been up. It's been nothing short of spectacular. We'll talk about him, what it means for the Cardinals coming up at noon. Questions and answers, though, coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. 65780 is the air comfort service X line for questions and answers. Jeff Jones, by the way, to wrap up our conversation from the other side, uh, sent me a message, said Stephen Matt's going on a rehab assignment that's expected to start this week. Uh, Ali Marmel said he needs at least one. So uh, Stephen Matt's probably getting one start down in the minors, making sure that he's got everything ready to go. So that's where we're at with that, just to rehash the starter's schedule. Let's get to your question. 65780 is your comfort service text line from the 618. Guys, do you think the Oilers will squeak out a game at home tonight, or are they going to get swept by the Avs before they head to the Stanley Cup final? I think they're going to get swept. I mean, they've had to they've had to cycle goaltenders more than any team I've seen in the national. More than Pittsburgh had to go through in their first round with Louis Domingue playing with the spicy pork tenderloin. Uh, and I, I mean, they're not going to have Evander Kane, who has been one of their most productive off offensive players, aside from Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. By the way, don't know if Dreisaitl is going to be playing because I believe he left that game and didn't return or he left the game in the third period uh, from game three. So if I were to predict, I think I would predict the Colorado Avalanche to pull out the sweep today, tonight, 
and then sit around and wait because this Rangers Lightning series seems like that's going six or seven games. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't see the Oilers winning tonight. They've got no goaltending. There's potentially you got Kane out for sure. There's potential that Drysaddle's out as well. They they just can't compete with the Colorado Avalanche. They're just not at their level. So I think they're done, and the Avs are going to be sitting around waiting for their Stanley Cup final opponent. We're all on the same page here. Sweep it. I think that they. So Drysaddle must be playing as he, well because he is. He did speak to the media today, so Drysaddle is expected to play. It doesn't matter to me. I think they. I'm with uh, you because they lose either way. Drysaddle can't play goal. Six five seven eight zero is your comfort that. service text yeah. line from the three one four guys. Have you seen what what is going on right now with Paul DeYoung down in AAA? Do you think that he's still got a little something left in the tank? Has been impressive over his last 12 games now. He has four doubles, five home runs. He is slugging 620 in that stretch. That's what you were hoping you would see out of Paul DeYoung whenever he went down in the minors is he would find himself. Now, to be fair, that has all come the way that they're doing the schedule down in the minors is you basically see two teams in that stretch. And I don't know what the quality of pitching is that he's facing right now. If he continues this, at some point, he might be able to come back up and be a utility infielder. And that's when the roster gets very interesting to me, is what they would decide to do at that point in time. But for here and now, it's it's encouraging to see him finding seemingly his timing again. And it's nice to see him hitting the ball hard, regardless of who, who it's coming against. It only benefits the Cardinals to have Paul DeYoung back to his old form. Absolutely. I don't know if he's going to get there. And here's the other question. I don't know where he fits in. Because Nolan Gorman has looked good, albeit against righties, not or against yeah, right, yeah, righties, not Cannot lefties. Face lefties. Um, I just don't know where he fits in, other than the Corey Dickerson spot. But that Corey Dickerson spot is a lefty off of the bench, and he's Paul about Young doesn't that, fit that's that. about to be taken by Tyler O'Neill. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I just don't know where he fits in. I hope he gets back to form because it obviously makes tough decisions for the Cardinals. But for right now, he's uh, he's behind an eight ball. Eventually, it's going to be a decision of Sosa versus DeYoung. Like that was the case last year as a starter. And in all reality, that just comes down to who's hitting. And it might be the case this year as a utility infielder. And Sosa had a really up and down weekend, man. He had some moments and then he had moments of good. And then unfortunately, uh, some moments of yeah, missing well, that third base bag was tough and, and first. Yeah, um, I like Sosa. You guys know I was like the leader of the Sosa bandwagon last year. It's been just such a strange season for him. So I, I don't even know how to break it down right now. It's not a conversation because it's going to take more time for DeYoung to force that. But eventually, if there is a conversation to be had, those are the roster spots that you're looking at. I, I think if you're the Cardinals and I, I don't know if they would do this or not, but you almost have to, to me, you have to get DeYoung some work at third base as well. That's what helps Sosa's case. Sosa can play short, second and third. DeYoung's basically a shortstop. I don't even remember if I don't even know if he's ever played any other position in the big uh, league. He played so. not in the did he play third at the bigs at all? Well, I don't unless think it was so. like a replacement because I know he played third in the now, minors. The argument could be well, you've got Brendan Donovan, but if if I'm gonna bring up Paul DeYoung, and look it is a good sign that he's starting to hit the ball against triple A pitching, but if I'm gonna bring up Paul DeYoung, he needs to be more versatile than just a shortstop because yeah. We talked about it, very much. and we talked about it in the office today before the show. Look, I really like this Gorman. I know Gorman's not as good defensively as Paul Young is at shortstop, but I like the Gorman and Edmund duo up the middle, and I don't want to mess with that by bringing up Paul Young and making him a starter at shortstop. Well, he can fill in and get starts at short. 
but someone's going to have to give days off to Nolan Arnato. And at times, I'd like to see DeYoung get over there at third base if he's going to be on the roster. Tommy Edmond made a play shortstop last night that I thought was an impressive. It was towards the end. It was that running throw. Tommy Edmond's a shortstop. Like, well, I was just flat out wrong. He's pretty good over and there. And the only way Nolan Gorman's going to improve is if he just gets more and more reps. So I'm not going to take that away from him and say, okay, now you're going to be a DH slash bench player need to stay at second base. Unfortunately, I hate saying it, but Paul DeYoung lost the job. It's going to be difficult yeah. to get it back unless somebody gives it back to him. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. In 15 minutes or so, we will play a game of in or out. If you've got a scenario for us, you can throw it in on the text line 65780. We'll get into it at 1215. But coming up next, Brendan Donovan might be really good at baseball. And if he is, changes some things for the Cardinals. We'll explain what that means next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. takes off Higgins fires the third and the most aggressive base stealing team in the big leagues has its 44th steal 2-2 roped into left field here comes Hat that's gonna get past him all the way to the wall to score two the Cardinals have taken the lead it's Brendan Donovan again this one into right it gets down wisdom being waved throw home not cut off and out at the plate Brendan Donovan did a little bit of everything over the weekend. He has now, let's see here, one, two, three, four. He he has a six-game hitting streak. He's been on base in eight straight games. And Alex, over the weekend, he did it defensively as well. He had the stolen base. He's coming up. He's got a flair for the dramatic with some big-time hits in the late innings, including in extra innings. Brendan Donovan has just been really good for the Cardinals so far this season. And I got to be honest with you guys. I was skeptical. I wasn't sure that what we saw early on was sustainable. And honestly, I I don't think he's going to be a 300 hitter long term. He's getting on base right now 44% of the time, which is just ridiculous. And the slugging percentage is probably not going to be very high. He just doesn't hit the ball hard enough to sustain a slugging percentage over like 420. He's going to be a guy that gets on base at a decent clip, doesn't hit for a lot of power, but makes a ton of contact. That is a valuable player. What we are watching right now is a guy who can play everywhere on the diamond is at a minimum average at just about every defensive position, even though he's not great at any of them. He hits for a lot of contact. He walks at a crazy rate. He is now uh, walking at a higher rate than he is striking out. Brendan Donovan is just a really fun and really good player. And man, if you were on social media over the weekend and you follow any Cubs fans, all of them had the exact same response. Who the bleep is Brendan Donovan and where did he come from? (laughs) The amount of people that were flipping off Brendan Donovan in the stands during that game or that series at Wrigley was just fascinating to me. Dude, he is the Cardinals devil magic player to a T. He is exactly what we describe him as. He's kind of a late bloomer. He came out of nowhere. He was not considered to be a top prospect. Nobody other than like Kyle Reese on Twitter and Tanner Hendrickson saw this guy as any sort of a real contributor to the big league club. And yet here we are and on... Uh, June the 6th, you can't take this guy out of your lineup. He's going to play every day, whether that be as a starter at one position, unlikely, or because the way that Ollie has fluctuated his lineup, 
He's going to play first base one day to get Goldie a day off. He's going to play third to get Arenado a day off. And then he's going to mix into the middle infield. He can give you some innings defensively that are better than what you're getting out of Nolan Gorman if you need him as a defensive replacement in one game. And oh, by the way, if you, while Dylan Carlson is still working his way back, need him in the outfield, he's been perfectly fine and sometimes even good in right field. This is an awesome piece to be able to have when your manager is somebody that's trying to get guys days off on their feet. Well, and the other part about it, too, that I find so ironic that it happens is we spent the entire offseason talking about where that left handed bat was going to come from because Nolan Gorman, you know, you felt like he could get there, but you didn't know when. And you're thinking, okay, so Corey Dickerson is our left-handed bat. And then, boom, all of a sudden, Brennan Donovan steps in and says, I'll be your left-handed bat. And he's not the power guy, although I guess he can be at some time, but he's just more of the clutch hitter. And that's what I think has been so desperate for this Cardinals team in the last couple of years is a guy who can hit off of the bench in a big-time situation because they have a lot of guys who occasionally can do it, but it seems every time Brennan Donovan steps to the plate, he's able to come through big for the Cardinals. He's got the speed. He matches the identity of this Cardinals team. And the best comp that I have seen actually came on our air comfort service text line at six, five, seven, eight, Oh, Placido Polanco. And it makes a lot of sense because close enough. What did I say? You were close. Placido. We'll take it, man. Keep you're on a roll. Keep it going. I'm not going to do it anymore. Damn you guys. Stupid smirks. I don't even want to do it anymore. Placido Polanco. That's fine. But in all reality, I mean, it was a guy who was able to play third base, shortstop, second base. Don't think he played much outfielder. But every chance you had, he'd find a way to come up for a big-time hit. And that's what Brennan Donovan is. It's a useful piece for this team moving forward. Because even at full health, you're still talking about a bench that's just as strong, if not stronger, than what it was last season. Yeah, I, I thought Brennan Donovan would be able to contribute to the big league club. But I didn't think it'd be at this level. Like, when I mean contribute... When I said that last year in the T-Bone 3, what I basically meant was, yeah, he's going to be on the roster, and basically he's going to get to get guys' days off, and he may be like a 230 hitter, and he'll give you good at-bats. That's all I saw from Classic Brendan Donovan. Classic utility infielder that yeah. is on the roster. You're like, like the, he's fine. The Greg Garcia, Daniel Descazzo type player, where it's like, yeah, he's fine. It's good to have him on the roster and get guys' days off. I did not expect him to be a guy that we're talking about that has – just unbelievable walk rate and incredible strikeout rate that's super low. A guy that you feel comfortable when he comes up to the plate where he can be clutch in the moment that you're talking about, play subpar or play really good defense at just about every position where he's just right there around league average, but it's all you ask for from a player that's going to be playing seven different positions out there in the infield and outfield. So he has exceeded expectations for me. That's just unbelievable to see him be able to contribute this way. Like, like I said, did not see him being this kind of player. I, I thought, he, now he's a guy that you have to have in the lineup. You have to figure a way to keep him in the lineup. And you, and you see the Cardinals rotating him through all these different positions, trying to find ways to keep him in the lineup. And it's just really impressive to see a guy like Brennan Donovan do this because I don't think he was ever a top 30 prospect in, when he looked at the Cardinals system. I don't think he ever ranked in the top 30 for them. Somebody on the text line from the 314 says, guys, if you do a deep dive into the Brendan Donovan numbers, is he actually legit? So... Let's go ahead and go into this. You know, this guy went into him. Yeah, I I was looking into these over the weekend because I was curious, like, are my eyes deceiving me? Is what we're watching real? And I guess it depends on what you're asking by. Is this real? Is he a good contact hitter? Absolutely. Does he have a great eye at the plate? And does he have a knack for the strike zone? 100%. He does not strike out a whole lot. And that has been the case for him both in the minors. And now, of course, since he's been up in the big leagues. 
the, the thing that we do need to keep an eye on is he does not hit for power or he has not thus far at the big league level. Like he's not hitting the ball particularly hard. And when he does hit for extra bases, it's mostly like seeing eye doubles is kind of what he's he's getting into, which is fine because he hits to all fields and you can win that way. I think there is a, a useful piece for that guy. And I think next year, honestly, he's going to have even more value because he can hit to all fields. But if you're looking at the slugging percentage numbers, those are going to be pretty low. And on the season, he's bet he has 79 batted balls so far this year, Alex. So he has made contact 79 different times in those 79 batted balls. He had his barreled the ball. How many times would you guys guess how many barreled balls out of the 79 opportunities that he's had? Oh boy. I'd probably go like 15. I don't know if he's hit that many 10 extremely One. hard. I was going to say, yeah. He has, he has always, one, when he does this, it's either one or nothing. He's He has one barreled ball so far this year. So if you're looking at, okay, what is the what is the black eye to the Brendan Donovan experience? It's that. He's just not hitting the ball particularly hard. But honestly, right now, I don't really care. Like, I'm the guy that would typically look at these numbers, but uh, what you're watching right now is just a really good baseball player. And he's finding ways to contribute, whether that be on the bases, as a defender, or when he's at the plate. And in big spots, he does not look overmatched. So is it like three years from now, something where we're going to be saying to ourselves, man, that Brendan Donovan season was awesome. That's possible. It shouldn't shock anybody. But right now he's playing really well. So I I think he's just a solid player that is really going to help this team in 2022. There was one thing with Donovan, though, from the weekend that we do need to address quickly. So John Denton tweeted this out said, here's what Brendan Donovan said tonight. This was uh, on, I guess it would have been Saturday now. After a couple of tweets resurfaced, they were from 2014. I think it was even before then. He was 14. Yeah, one was 11 years old. The other is nine years old in terms of the tweets that were sent out that uh, resurfaced. And it had derogatory language that was um, honestly just unacceptable. But again... One of them was nine years old. The other was 11 years old. Here was Brendan Donovan's response to that. This was not in the post game show. So we do not have the audio because it was a nationally televised game said, quote, I take full responsibility. It was something that I sent out a long time ago, and I'm truly sorry to anybody that I could have offended from that. Anyone who knows me as a person knows that I see everyone the same, and I do not condone that type of behavior. If I offended you by that, I sincerely apologize, and I hope that I can do my part to show you that that is not who I am. The last thing I wanted to do was offend anybody. Like I said, I see everybody the same. It was tweets back and forth. I think I saw that they were over 10 years ago. It was playful banter between me and a buddy. It was someone that I still talk to to this day. I certainly did not mean anything derogatory about it. Like I said, if I offended anybody, I sincerely apologize. Guys, Brendan Donovan is what, 25 years old now? Mm -hmm. So these tweets were from when he was 11 and 15-ish? Yeah, I thought thought they said it was either 11 or 12. and It was 12 and 14 is what I saw on the tweet about what Brendan Donovan had said. I am not here to excuse what he did. I will not do that. It shouldn't happen. I was also, once upon a time, a teenager... And I said some stupid stuff, man. Same. And I honestly, like, I have no idea what I said on social media back then. I just don't know. I, I That was, what, 15 years ago at this point when I was at the same age as these tweets came out from Brendan Donovan? I hope I didn't say anything like this. I hope I didn't. But 
I know how teenagers speak and they're dumb and they're young and they're ignorant. And sometimes this stuff gets out there and like, I, I hope that over time we all get to the point where this stuff doesn't continue to happen. But right now it does. And so for Brendan Donovan, I'm glad that he took full responsibility for it. I think he handled this absolutely in the correct way and it can't, it shouldn't happen. But if I had like, Alex, you have a daughter right now. She's going to get on social media at some point. She's probably going to say some stupid stuff on social media because that's how kids are. And if I had any one piece of advice, if you're like a 16-year-old right now that's listening to the show, I wish I would have done this once upon a time. When you turn 18 or somewhere thereabouts, delete all of your social media accounts and start anew at the age of 18. And just allow yourself that opportunity to say, okay, I'm sure I said stupid stuff. And don't use that as a get-out-of-jail-free card, but... 10 years ago, I was a different person than I am today. And I hope that 10 years from now, I am a better person than I am today. I, I, I think Brendan Donovan handled this correctly, but it's a weird day and age that we are in right now that I'm sure that if you're 55 years old, listening to this, you're probably thinking right now to yourself, as you're seeing some of these stories that are coming out, man, I'm so glad I didn't have social media when I was 15 because it can lead to so much more harm than it is good. Um, And this was just the latest reminder of that and yeah. it's going to continue to happen unfortunately yeah just a second and I, I mean look what what was said was inexcusable and he knows that but I just it, it's a fascinating to me that this is what happens when a player who comes out of nowhere starts to get a little bit more uh, notoriety behind him and then somebody immediately has to go back to their social media to find something to knock them down a peg remember this is what happened with Jordan Bennington yep. back in 2019 it was some reporter from the San Jose Sharks went back and found a tweet back when Jordan Bennington was 15 years old talking about somebody in a cab I don't even remember what it was but it was something that was talked about when they were 15 years old on social media compared to them being 22, 23, 24, 25 years old. There's a lot that changes between being 14 and being a little bit more mature in your age. And Brennan Donovan is at that mature age now. If he could go back, I'm sure he would delete everything that took place in the past. Heck, we would probably do that with our okay. social medias. But it just it doesn't make much sense to me to go back and and fish through somebody's social media accounts to bring something up that they said, which was a terrible thing to put out there, but then to point fingers and be like, well, this guy should be disciplined for that. He's a different person now. I was actually happy to see it didn't seem like there was as much hand wringing this time around. Like in the past, we have seen where this stuff comes out and then it's everybody kind of goes on to the uh, mob mentality of, oh, this guy was in the wrong. So when, Yes, and he acknowledged it, and hopefully now we can all move on. And so if this was something where, like, within the last six months, Brendan Donovan, as a grown man, said some of this stuff, yes, that is a completely different story, and I would approach this completely differently than what we are talking about right now. Man, if you're in your teenage years, your early teen years, and you say something stupid on social media, like, I I just honestly kind of expect that kind of stuff. Uh, unfortunately, just because we're all young and dumb at some point. By the way, somebody on the text side from the 314 said, did BK just call Alex's daughter stupid? Damn, what a jerk. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> I didn't call her stupid. I said we all say stupid things. And uh, yeah. Uh, what did you hear, T-Bone? I, you know, I'm not going to comment. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I might have called I, her stupid. I, I'd expect a public apology to her, me, my wife, and any other future Ferrario kids at some point in the show. Coming up next, in or out here on 101 ESPN. 
We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Come on, man. Are you in or are you out? It's in or out with PK and Ferrario. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex is in a bad mood. He's upset. upset. We tell him what you said during the commercial break. I told Alex he's a bad father, and now suddenly he's upset about something. I don't know why. Literally looked at me and and was like, maybe you should go home and play with your daughter. (laughs) Okay, thanks. Thought I said it in jest. Apparently not so much. Go home and spend some quality time with your wife. To be fair, okay, let's, let's peel the curtain all the way back. Alex's internet is out, and he's upset that he's not going to be able to watch first games world tonight. First world there problems. are no Cardinals games. There is no Blues games. There's he's trying to watch game. the Avs game, which There's is a basketball game tonight, no, isn't there? No, no. no. It was last night, buddy. Nice try. There's a lot going on. There's nothing going on. Your on. Phone. So that bright, that's what I told him to do: is stream it on his phone. And he's like, "No, he didn't say it. You said maybe you should go home and play with your daughter." So I said afterwards. Six five seven eight zero zero comfort service text line for in or out. All right, let's play a game of in or out. I'm about to shun you too, (laughs) (laughs) guys. In or out? Paul DeYoung is on the Cardinals roster by the end of the season. Out. I I would I think he's on a major league baseball roster by the end of the season. I just don't think he'd be with the Cardinals. I think now Brennan Donovan, Nolan Gorman, Tommy Edmond, I think all of those guys have made Paul DeYoung expendable. I think I'm out as well. I think he'll be in the Cardinals system still. I just don't know if he'll be up. Like the only time I could see him being up is one injuries, but I don't like to project those. And two would be like in that 20 when they expand back to 20, I think it's 28 roster, 28 man roster when you get to September. But at that point, I could I could easily see the Cardinals just bringing up pitching instead of rather than bringing up another position player. So I think right now I'll say I'm out. I wouldn't be shocked if that's when you see him, though, in September. Bring him up, see what he's got after spending, what, a couple months down in the minor leagues. Right now, I think they would look at pitching instead of bringing up Paul DeYoung. So I'm out. I'm in. I think he ends up finishing out the season as a utility infielder for the Cardinals. I don't know what that means for Edmundo Sosa. I don't. I I think, I mean, we know Paul DeYoung's defense is better than Edmundo Sosa's. Yeah. I really think it comes down to what Tebow mentioned of his versatility and who's hitting. Because that's what his role is going to be. You're going to be a bench bat. And unfortunately for Sosa, thus far in the season, he has not been hitting. Um, I know that he's been better than what DeYoung was earlier on in the season. Not by as much as you would hope, though. He's a 535 OPS now on the season. His on-base percentage is at 265. Bad version of Paul DeYoung was at 210. So it, you're just you're going to need more out of Edmundo Sosa at some point this year because the roster, because of some of these young guys, it, it's starting to get a little tighter. The the back end of the roster is better than it has been in what five years now. And this is as deep of a Cardinals position player roster as I've seen in quite a while. And that means that it's it's a higher threshold to be able to stay on it. And it's tough for Edmundo Sosa. So I think that it is going to be Paul DeYoung back on the big league roster. And he finishes up the season with the team. 65780 is the air covered service tax line for in or out. Guys, in or out of the two left-handed prospects, Zach Thompson and Matthew Libertor, Thompson ends up being the one that contributes more to the big league club this year. I'd say I'm in on this. I I, I loved everything about Zach Thompson's play in that game this weekend like 
just the way he he looked like the Arizona Fall League Zach Thompson. He looked like the Zach Thompson who was drafted out of Kentucky more so than the guy that we have seen in the minors over the last few years. So I don't think he's going to be an ace. I don't think he's going to be a one through three, but this guy looks like a back-end pitcher for a rotation. I think I'm in on Thompson being more used from the Cardinals in terms of just because I think he could be a guy that with the stuff that we saw this past weekend, I think he'd be a guy that you can bring out of your bullpen and kind of fill that role of a TJ McFarland. Not so much in terms of getting the ground balls, but in terms of replacing one lefty for another. And he provides a little bit of length like you have from like an Andre Pallante and all those guys. So I would say I'm in on this. I do think Libertor will ultimately be more of a starter than uh, Zach Thompson is. But I think right now, I think you can look at it and you could say, okay, the way the way his stuff played in Wrigley, I think you could use him out of the bullpen, and that's why you see more production out of him this year with the Cardinals compared to Matthew Libertor, who's probably going to be just a spot starter. Yeah, I'm in on this as well. We'll talk a little bit more on the other side about what Zach Thompson's role is going to be moving forward, but I think he is going to be a helpful piece to this roster, and I think he's going to stick around as long as he continues throwing strikes. Guys, in or out, both Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado will hit at least 35 home runs and have at least 100 RBI this season. Goldie right now is on pace for 35 home runs and 140 RBIs on the season. Wow. (laughs) Nolan Arenado, meanwhile, is on pace for 30 home runs and 115 RBIs. So both of them hitting 35 and 100 home runs. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say I'm in on this. Paul Goldschmidt's going to get there, and I think Nolan Arenado's just going to go into a hot streak and put his He's expected numbers. Right now. Yeah. I think they're both going to get there. And if you add in a Tyler O'Neill who's hitting better than what he was and Dylan Carlson, you're going to have a lot of guys who are getting on base around them. So I'm going to say in on this. Oh, man, I, I think I'm going to go out on this. I just don't see oh. both of them getting 35. Oh. I just don't see both of them hitting 30 home runs. So... That's the only reason I'm out on this. I think both will get to 30. I just don't know about 35, so I'm out. Now, 140, I'm in on Goldie. That dude's that dude's unbelievable. I'm in on this as well. Why not? It takes nothing to be optimistic, right? That's what our guy Mike Schultz said. That's true. He did say that. Our our guy. Well, our he, guy. He actually, he actually said you live longer if you're optimistic, and it's our guy, not your guy. We know why. Brandon. Uh, Brandon. I'm in on this as well. Let's go to the next one. Oh, okay. I like this from the 314. In or out, we will see both, uh, excuse me, Harrison Bader and Tommy Edmond finish with at least 15 home runs and 40 stolen bases this season. 15 home runs and 40 stolen bases? Is that what you said? Yeah. They are both currently on pace to do exactly that. 40 stolen bases is absurd. And I don't think both of them get to 15 home runs. So I'm going to say I'm out on this. Bader is at five home runs on the season so far with 14 stolen bases. And Tommy Edmond has the same numbers. I'm well, going to say both expected to have those. It would make sense that they both had those numbers. Just giving you the, the specific <laughs> okay. stats. I'm going to say I'm out on this. And the reason is because I'm just not sure Edmund has 15 home run power. I know he's on pace for that. And the average, the Didn't he you get pretty close to that last year. 11. Uh, I was going to say he was Not 11. Yeah. Bader's got 15 home run power. I think Bader is a guy that in a good year could hit 20. So I, I'm i just going to say out of this just because I'm not sure Edmund can get to 15 home runs. I think both could get to 40 stolen bases easily. I'm just not sure about Edmund in the power. So I'm going to say I'm out on this. I like hearing See, that on the, the stolen bases. On I don't think Bader gets to the 15. Oh. I think Tommy gets there. He got there last year. Yeah. In 100 games. Bader? Yeah. Bader had 16 home runs last year in 100 games. We'll see if he can do it for 162. Bader's quietly heating up a little bit right now. 
He's looking good lately. He's a hell of a triple last night. He's a tongue he's was a out player. from second to oh, third yeah, base hey, too. If you saw it, he was moving. He had the Newt Bar tongue out. It was great. And also, he should probably talk to Brendan Donovan to figure out why his helmet stays on and Donovan's doesn't. Don- Donovan just wants, they need to talk. Donovan just wants to flow out, man. It's, it's understandable. In that series against the Cubs, Harrison Bader finished with nine hits, including a triple and a home run. He had three RBIs in, the, in that series. He he had a really good series in Chicago. He, he likes playing up there. Uh, I'm in on this. 15 home runs, 40 stolen bases. I don't know when the last time that happened for the Cardinals was. It it has to have been a while. But I think both sure of them ever, end up getting that. There's no way that even happened in the 80s, right? Those guys never had 15 home runs, right? That feels like oh. something they that Ray won, Langford might have done. Somebody. Yeah, but not two. Vince Coleman? That's what I'm saying. Oh, I don't, two on one team? Yeah, there's no way. I don't. Vince and I'd Willie? I'd be stunned if... Well, I don't think Willie had that much power, did he? Maybe. I mean, it's... Let's find out. I'm not even sure if Vince It's had been that a much while. Power. I can check that out. We'll check on that. We'll see when the last time was that the Cardinals had two players get 15 home runs and 40 stolen bases in the same season. We'll do that on the other side. And Zach Thompson earned a spot on the roster with his performance on Friday night. But what does that spot on the roster look like? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Our limit for him today was right around that 70 pitch mark. Um, So for him to be able to give us what he did with 70 was awesome. Uh, His stuff plays. Uh, good fastball to some really good change-ups underneath the zone for swing and miss, land of the curveball, um, and a pitch here for the first time. It's a good crowd, and for him to slow it down the way he did was uh, was definitely impressive. That was Ollie Marmol following Zach Thompson's major league debut in which he had four innings to qualify for the save to finish things out for the Cardinals on Friday night and their win against the Chicago Cubs. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. We'll get more into Zach Thompson here in just a minute. But to finish up the conversation we were having in the last segment, uh, we, we had a question of, do you think that Harrison Bader and Tommy Edmond will both be able to get to 15 home runs and 40 or more stolen bases this season. And we were wondering when the last time was that the Cardinals had that happened. It has never happened where the Cardinals had multiple players in the same season, have at least 15 home runs and 40 stolen bases in a year. It's only happened four times in franchise history, which is surprising to me, given how much uh, they had so many guys that had this kind of speed and power Four different players rather that did it. Uh, Lou Brock, Ray Langford and Greg Jeffries were the most recent to do so. Lou Brock did it three times in his career. Alex, the last time this happened twice or with two guys on the same team was the 2010 Tampa Bay Rays who had Carl Crawford and BJ Upton. Upton had 18 home runs and 42 stolen bases that year. Crawford had 19 home runs and 47 steals. So this would be a truly unique characteristic to have as a team with both Bader and Edmund being able to potentially accomplish it this year. I love, I love that Tampa Bay Rays team. So uh, that would be fun to watch because uh, Carl Crawford and BJ Upton, that's some pretty good company to have along your team. If you're putting those two together hundred percent. So hopefully they're able to get there, but let's get back into the Zach Thompson conversation. So Zach Thompson makes his debut and I didn't really know what to expect because I'm not going to sit here and pretend as if I've watched a whole lot of Zach Thompson down in the minor leagues in his career. But 
the scouting report on him was basically, hey, the stuff's pretty good, but he doesn't really know where it's going a whole lot of the time. Doesn't have a fantastic command. He had some walk issues last year. That's been kind of the issue with him over the last few seasons that led him to start falling down on the prospects list. What we saw on Friday, if that is the guy that he's going to be in the big leagues, who, buddy, that stuff plays. His curveball looked better than the curveball that we saw from Matthew Liberatore. His velocity is way better than what we had seen from Matthew Liberatore. I thought his stuff in general was just flat out better than Liberatore's was, and he commanded it. it. Everything was, for the most part, in the zone. He only had one walk over his four innings. He allowed a total of four base runners in that stretch. Man, that version of Zach Thompson, I don't know if he's a starter. I don't know if he's a reliever. He's an outgetter. And you figure out ways to utilize him, and he can absolutely be one of the 13 best pitchers that are on this major league roster, again, if he can continue pitching the way that he did on Friday night. In in my eyes, after one start with the problems that the Cardinals are going through right now in terms of having guys in their rotation, he's a starter. And again, this is is until Steven Matz is available, until Jack Flaherty comes back, but I think he trumped everything what Matthew Libertor has done in his short stints. He has trumped what we have seen from other guys, mostly because, and I get it, it's only one game, but the guy just went out at the strike zone. And you told me in the office that this is like the prototypical pitcher for me because you said it, he's a bulldog. Like he just goes at the strike zone. And I liked it, man. Like he just had a little bit of a ferociousness to him. Even his post-game interview on Valley Sports Midwest, I think he was only giving like one-word answers. Like he's just a gamer. So again, it was one start, and maybe this doesn't look good after the second, but for what they're dealing with right now, I think he has gone above all of these other guys in terms of, well, who's going to get the start here? I'm going back to Zach Thompson. Yeah, I wouldn't mind going back to Zach Thompson because his stuff clearly can play here at this level. I mean, you heard Ollie say it in that cut when we returned, but... I don't know. For some reason, I still would like to see him just come out of the bullpen for now, continue to work out of the pin as he's going to rack up innings here at the big league level. And I, I get that he's built as a starter. He's stretched out as a starter. But honestly, I don't mind him coming into a game like middle of it, like fourth, fifth inning, because I like the idea of whether it be Pacquiao nor Andre Pallante taking that fifth starter spot, and then you can build off of them with a piggyback option in a Zach Thompson. I, and you're talking about just for the, the next week or so yeah, while they're yes, trying to get Steven yes. Matz back. Till Matz gets back, I like the idea of either starting with someone like a Pallante or a Pacquiao that can go through the lineup once, and then you can turn to Zach Thompson out of the bullpen. I just don't know. I For some reason, I just want to be more cautious with him as a starter rather than just throwing him out there, have him come out of the bullpen, because it was successful in the first try that he was successful coming out of the pin. Let's see him continue to build off of that. Come out of the bullpen. You can start at Palante. You can start at Packy Notton. I don't think it's going to have too much of an impact on his growth. I mean, we've seen the Cardinals do this with multiple uh, starters in the past where they come out of the bullpen. Not so much for this kind of link that they got from Zach Thompson, but it's something that they've done before. I would just ask him, what do you feel more comfortable with? Do you want to start or do you want to come out of the pen? And, and whatever you think is better for you, we'll do that. Because he's probably going to get four-ish innings for them uh, in one of these games against Tampa Bay. I don't know when it's going to happen. Does that come at the very beginning of the game? Does it come towards the end of the game? But that's what you're expecting out of him uh, in this series. And I would let him make the call. Hey, you want to start? Cool. Let's see what you got. Do you want to come out of the bullpen? Awesome. We'll let you finish things off just the exact same way that you did against the Cubs on a Friday night. I I, I really liked what we saw from him, and I would allow him. that. That's, that is the reward that he gets for that kind of a performance. And then if you want to go with him and Andre Pallante, maybe those are the two guys that you go with in that game. Fantastic. And if you finish things out in that one with a Drew Berhagen or something, 
there's your game and you've got it covered. All those innings are covered with three different guys that can all give you some potential length. Uh, what I find really interesting is what happens after that, because you're going to get Steven Matz back in the not too distant future. And when that takes place, now you've got your rotation covered. There's a lot of ifs here, but if Zach Thompson performs well in his next start or his next appearance, this this roster is about to go through a crunch and John Mosellock is going to have to get pretty nimble with the way that he is approaching these things like TJ McFarland, I think, is a really good dude in that locker room. At some point, though, the results have to start showing and they might have to make a decision of who's more important for us. Is it more important for us to keep a Zach Thompson on the big league roster or to keep TJ McFarland on the roster? Do we think that another team would pick up TJ McFarland or would he accept an option down to Memphis with us? Those are the kinds of things that are going to become important in the not too distant future. And they're going to have to do the same thing eventually with Edmundo Sosa where, okay, we've got a crunch here roster wise. What do we do with him? Does he, is he going to be with us for the long term, or do we have that spot on the roster filled with guys like Gorman and Donovan now being around with us? And Yepes has shown the ability to play in the outfield and play first base if you need him to. I think they have the roster flexibility where these are going to be some of the conversations that are taking place probably within the next two weeks or so as they get some of these guys back off of the IL. Yeah, I mean, I think at some point, as much as you want to say that the guy who does great for the clubhouse and having him around, you got to go with talent. And I hate to say that because TJ McFarland has talent. I'm not saying that the guy can't play, but his stuff obviously has dropped off a little bit for the Cardinals. And if Zach Thompson continues to perform, what makes you a better bullpen? I think Zach Thompson does over TJ McFarland. Yeah, I think whoever is just flat out pitching the best is going to be the guy that's up on the roster. I mean, the Cardinals already showed us that when they decided to DFA Aaron Brooks early on in the year. Good point. And all he basically said... Hey, look, Brooks wasn't getting it done for us out of the bullpen. We're not going to play a contract. We're not going to play a guy with veteran experience. We want guys that are up here that are going to give us the best performance that has gives us the best chance to win baseball games. So if that means Zach Thompson comes out and he shoves another four innings against a really good Tampa Bay Rays team, then, yeah, I expect Zach Thompson will be the guy that will continue to keep a roster spot. And then as guys start to come back, whether you like it or not, I think DJ McFarland's a guy that is going to be on kind of DFA watch. Or because I don't think he, I could be wrong, but I'm not sure he would accept a, a uh, assignment down in the minor leagues. I think there'd be a team that would pick up TJ McFarland. Same with a guy like a uh, Nick Woodgren. I, I think Nick Woodgren is getting closer and closer to being on DFA watch because his numbers look they're not bad, but they're not they don't uh, stand out to you. And he's just a middle relief guy. And if he's not going to give you quality innings, you can fill that role with another guy out of the pen, whether that be a Jake Walsh or. Uh, if Cody Whitley finds his stuff again, when Cody Whitley's right, Cody Whitley is a really good relief pitcher for you. So I expect the Cardinals to go with whoever the whoever is pitching better is going to be up on this roster. And if that means Zach Thompson stays on this roster from now on till to the remainder of the year, I think the Cardinals will do it. And I, I can't tell you that I would have said that uh, last year under Mike Schilt. Fair or unfair, I, the Cardinals would have been playing the veterans over the, the young guys. I don't think it's a coincidence that last year we did not see on, uh, Juan Yepes called up until the playoffs despite the fact that his numbers in the minor leagues last year were almost identical to what his numbers were this year in the minor leagues. Now, I understand he had a full year at that point under his belt, so this season it was all about him just proving it once again to be able to get back to the big league roster, but I think the Cardinals' general manager, their their president of baseball operations, they felt that he wasn't going to get playing time if he was called up to the big leagues, and I do need to say it's probably worth mentioning they also did not have the DH last year, which changes things, and that opened up another spot to be able to get his bat into the lineup 
but I got to give a lot of credit. Ollie, the way that he has managed this roster, he's playing the guys that deserve to be played. He's not putting Albert Pools and Yadier Molina in the 4-5 spot in the order every time. He's going with uh, a guy like Nolan Gorman in the 2 spot, which is perfect for him. I think that's exactly the way to utilize him. He's not throwing Nolan Gorman out there against all of these left-handed pitchers. He's saying, we really like this guy. We think he's going to be a good player. We don't believe right now he's ready to go up against big league left-handed starters, so we're going to utilize him later on in a game in a key spot against a righty when that comes up. I, I really like the way that he's managed the roster this year, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. Coming up in about 15 minutes or so, Alex has changed his tune on something as it relates to the Cardinals' long-term future. He'll tell you what that is coming up at 1 o'clock, but coming up next, let's dive into the junk drawer here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve it. Checking account today. Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. I think on Friday night, I saw the single funniest and most uncomfortable video simultaneously on Twitter. I mean, I've seen plenty of uncomfortable videos. I don't know if any of them have been funny, but all right, go along. So, Alex, there is uh, there's this guy that's going around, and I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know specifically who he worked for. I apologize, but I do not know what network he was with. But he's going around Yankee Stadium, and he's talking to Yankees fans about, hey, what would you do? to guarantee the Yankees win a World Series, right? So it's like, what would you do for a Klondike bar? And basically the same thing. And he goes up to this couple. I'll let you listen to what comes next. If the Yankees were going to win a World Series, but you had to give each other a hall pass, would you do it? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay, why do who, you have to she have to? Who does she have so to? You have pick to... anyone who you want. Who would you pick? Anyone in the world? My ex-boyfriend. Oh, my God. <laughs> what? <laughs> Who would you pick? Uh, mm, you. Oh. Aw. I'm sorry. Why the ex-boyfriend? We're going to fight about this. Why the ex-boyfriend? Uh, He's gone. You can tell me. He was a good lover. Oh, okay. oh damn. <laughs> wow. Oh, damn. That, that couple is not together anymore. <laughs> I can promise you. He's gone now. You could be honest. He's gone because he heard you say my ex-lover. I'm out. Who's a good lover? Wow. What? First of all, how do you go right to... He said anybody in the world. Yeah, you could have gone like, I don't know, Harry Styles. Like, literally anybody. That's who you went to? Wow. Harry Styles? Miles Teller, maybe? That's who you went to? Got Top Gun Maverick that just came out. By the way, just a tremendous film. Wow. That's why you went to Miles Teller. <laughs> okay. The first thing you go to is uh, my, my ex-boyfriend. Who, buddy? There is some explaining well, to seen do the there. Video. I haven't seen the video. Yeah. This is just the audio. What's the, What's the guy's guy reaction? Like? Shock. It, like, complete shock. Well, listen to Did him. Did he drop his beer? Because that'd be great. <laughs> well, listen to him, though. I mean, he took a couple of seconds to say, like, he was like, uh, because I think he's processing. Yes. He's like, wait. Who did you? You said your ex? His rebuttal should have been, uh, my ex. <laughs> and then seen where that went. Uh. Mm. <laughs> and then she gets offended. She goes, what? 
Like what? Oh my god. Can you I'm trying to imagine the correct response to this. Also, a hall pass for a championship? Yeah, well, that's easy. Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I'd be going hall passes for any championships. Oh, buddy. You know what I would get for the Cardinals fans. to win a World Series this year? 12 well, and 22? Harry Styles or Miles Teller. Easily. Sign me up. Ooh. For my wife, of course. Not yeah, no, for me. I, I don't know if your wife was involved in that. Wow. Wow, indeed. <laughs> I, I, am, I am baffled right now. Somebody said that is the worst possible answer. Like, Just say literally anybody famous. Anybody That's the thing. Anybody like, in the world. Anybody in the world. You could go with the strangest, most outlandish answer possible, and that is better than what you actually yep. went with. The 314 is right. I would have responded her best friend. Oh, that's a good one. Just anything to just get back at her on that. There is no way that couple is still together. I, I mean, she's got to get an Uber. Like, if I'm driving you, no. I, I don't know how you're getting home, but it ain't me. I'm leaving her at the ballpark, and I'm making her think she's going to get a ride home. Yeah, like, she she can go with literally anybody. I'm waiting until the eighth inning, and then I'm going to say, hey, I got to go to the bathroom, oh go to the bathroom, God. and then leave. Oh, no, I'm not sitting next to her during that game. Yeah, I don't even I mean, know if I could survive through eight innings. I hope she didn't have the tickets, because if she did, I ain't going to the game. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm out, or I'll buy some up at the ticket office. I'm good. I am not about to go to that game with her. We are done. Oh my D-O-N-E, god! D O N E done. I and then she she doubled down on it and yeah. said because he is a great lover. I mean, I guess at least she had a good answer. No, can we listen to this whole yeah, thing? Can we do it all again, one more please? If the Yankees were going to win a World Series, oh but you had to give each other a hall pass, would you do it? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Why do you guys Who does she have she to pick? Anyone or you want? She had this in the back pocket the entire time. <laughs> Did you see how fast she said absolutely? She has been wanting to get back with her ex because he's a great lover for the yeah. longest time. It was like, oh, go ahead. But you had to give each other a hall pass. Would you do it? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, why who, who does she have to? Who does she have she to? You can pick anyone who you want. Who would you pick? Anyone in the world? Oh, yeah, she knew. My ex-boyfriend? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Shit. Who would you pick? Uh. What? You. Oh. I'm sorry. Why oh. the ex-boyfriend? We're gonna fight about this. You? Why the ex-boyfriend. Uh. He's gone. You can tell me. He was a good lover. Okay. He's gone. He's, wow. he's gone he's out of your gone. life. He <laughs> left. When he said he's gone, he could have just been literally. He, he is no longer going to I'm, be around I'm you also ever just, again. I'm also just baffled that like she was offended. By him taking forever to say an answer. Yeah. Like, you said your ex. <laughs> I can't, man. This this got me fired up. <laughs> Unbelievable. Alongside Ario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. God. Coming up in 15 minutes or so, the Blues have a number of players entering the final year of their contracts. Are you going to extend them, trade them, or let it ride? We'll play that game coming up at 115. But next, Alex has changed his tune on one specific position for the Cardinals. I didn't see it coming. He'll tell you what that is next here on 101 ESPN. He was a good lover. Oh, okay. Wow. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Day, the third time through for Swarmer. They were one for six. And Tommy lifts a high fly ball out to deep right. It's at the wall. Gone in the basket. 
Tommy Edmond his fifth home run. And the Cardinals get on the board. Tommy Edmond has shown everybody that we should just stop counting him out of anything. The guy is good regardless of where he plays. And that audio, courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest. Alex, on the season, Tommy Edmond's hitting 280 once again. In OPS Plus, where 100 is exactly league average, he is 26% above league average on the season. He's on pace for 15 home runs, 40 stolen bases. He's been Tommy Edmond once again, and now he's doing it at shortstop, which makes it all that much more valuable. I wasn't sure we were, what we were going to see when he made that move, but so far, really no questions about him. He, he's been really good over there. And Alex, I know this has made you start looking at the Cardinal shortstop situation a little differently. Yeah, I saw a, uh, a tweeter and a piece earlier today from Bob Nightingale saying that the Cubs are going to go uh, heavily after either Xander Bogarts, Carlos Correa, or Trey Turner. And a veteran GM basically told Nightingale that he guarantees the Cubs will get one of those three. And originally you see that in St. Louis and you're thinking, well, damn, the Cardinals need to go after one of those three. I don't care anymore. To me, I don't think it's impactful for this team to go aggressive after a shortstop. And I have changed my tune because I thought Xander Bogarts was a necessity about a month ago. But now that we have seen the switch with Tommy Edmond, where I thought the guy was going to be fine there. I didn't think he was going to be gold glove worthy, but hell, you give him a year, he might be in that category. But I thought he was going to be fine for you. And whatever Nolan Gorman was going to turn into, you'd have your defense up the middle and your bats up the middle. They found it, and it's not just because of Nolan Gorman playing second base, but it's also now because you have Brendan Donovan who's hitting well. So no longer do I view, and I know it's the trade deadline, and, and it'll be here sooner than any of us think it will, but it's still a little over a month away. I don't. I no longer think this Cardinals team needs to go after a shortstop at the trade deadline. I think now it's pitching. You need to go all in in one area, and that's the pitching side of things. For me specifically, I think I'd still go after a rotation guy like we've talked about with the Aaron Nola from the Philadelphia Phillies, but whatever it is, I no longer need a bat for this team. I want pitching. See, I I agree with you, Stephen. I don't think they need to focus on shortstop like an Xander, a Xander Bogarts this year. I still think they need to look at the shortstop position when they head into the offseason next year because... What's your plan with Gorman if you do as that? Good, I, DH. I, I, he's I, played at second base fine. I, he's uh, fine, but I don't, I don't... I don't know, man. I'm not sure that he's a second base. He's not Tommy Edmond at second it's base. Fine. I mean, you see the play that Tommy Edmond go... The there, though. Uh, fl- his bat's there, and that's why he's going to be a DH option for me. I, I think if you can, I think if you're the Cardinals, you head into next the offseason, you can probably get away with Gorman at second base and Edmond at shortstop this year. I think you got to look to move Gorman towards that DH spot. I'm just not sure if his glove's going to play. And if you're going to rave about, you know, look, we've got all these five gold glovers, then you got to go find a shortstop. I, but I, I think, think we're transitioning be, away from it. I don't think it's the, oh, well, we got all these gold glovers. I think you're starting to see the offense take I over. I think they could be as good offensively and be better defensively th- than what they are right now. I, I think defensively, you can clearly tell they've taken a step back. Acting, and part of that's injuries. But we're acting like the Cardinals are the Philadelphia Phillies right now with Gorman at second base. And that's not the case here. Like, yeah, he's had some errors in the early portion. But again, let's all remember, this guy was naturally a third baseman and they're transitioning him to but second base. If, if I have a spot to where I can can take his glove out of the lineup and go and prove defensively by doing so, I, I would. Because I can keep him in the lineup with the DH What I'm going to be really interested in seeing is what it looks like when their outfielders get back. Because are you going to see Brendan Donovan get some opportunities there at second base? And maybe on those days, you will see a guy like Nolan Gorman starting for you at designated hitter. I'd like to see that. I would like to see them go that route a couple of times. I think you're right, Alex. So I, I tend to be more on that side of things where 
I think that it looks okay right now. And I think it's going to look a lot better when they do get those outfielders back. When you get Dylan Carlson and Tyler O'Neill back into the lineup and you've got those three, I mean, borderline or gold glove caliber uh, defenders out there, you really just have one spot in your lineup where you're a below average defensive player. And that would be Nolan Gorman or whoever it is there at second base because Tommy Edmond has taken up shortstop and he looks maybe not as good at shortstop, but pretty darn good over at shortstop right now. So you're great basically everywhere else. And you can cover for one bad defender. We've seen this with whoever signs Mike Moustakis. They plug him in at second base and you're like, okay, we understand that's not going to be a good defender there, but we've got other guys that can handle all the other stuff that we're going to need. I'm curious about Gorman's long-term future, but for right now, I don't think the Cardinals need to go out there and acquire any sort of a bat. I am at the point where, barring some sort of an injury, I'm pretty set with what the Cardinals have offensively. I really like their options, and somebody on the text line made the comp that I've made a couple of times, which is the Cardinals have very similar pieces this year to what the Giants did a year ago, where you've got all these left-handed bats that can kind of move all, all around the diamond. They're fluid in terms of, like, basically a line shift that can come in depending on what the situation calls for. And that make me, makes me feel really good about where they're at. I am curious to see what it looks like a month from now with the pitching side of things. I'm not making any moves right now. I have no urgency to make any of those big moves. Jack Flaherty is down getting his rehab starts right now. He went three innings yesterday. Apparently they all went very well. You've got Steven Matz on the road to recovery. Jordan Hicks sounds like he's going to be back sooner rather than later. He's, he's starting his throwing program once again. When those guys get back, we'll find out where we're at. If Flaherty isn't himself and you need clearly a front end starter. All right, let's go out and acquire that guy. If Jordan Hicks is not able to return to form and now you need a fireball guy coming out of the back end of your pen, maybe Corey Knable or somebody like that is the guy that you go out there and acquire. But I think these injuries are going to tell you exactly what you need as we get closer and closer to the deadline. But I want to find what the internal replacements, those reinforcements can be first. Yeah. And before I get aggressive, I do want to see what all of this combined looks like, because maybe it's just a complimentary piece, or maybe you go heavy into the bullpen, but I'm not at the point where I'm sitting here saying you have to go get this at the trade deadline. And I also saw a tech say, well, the good news is the Cardinals never do anything at the trade deadline. (laughs) That's also very true. But the way I view this now is the versatility that this card, Cardinals team has the depth that they have on the bench, all of the bats, and you know your bullpen and your pitching is good when healthy, but even when they're dinged up, look at what they just accomplished. I, I think you add to your strength right now, and rather than go find a bat to play shortstop and move guys around once again, let them get comfortable where they're at, let these uh, outfielders come back in, and just go out there and say, we're going to throw everything we can at our pitching staff to make sure that they're ready for a playoff push. Yeah, I, I can't see a scenario in which they're looking to add a bat at the deadline. The only scenario I actually would see that in is if like a a uh, Nolan Arnato or Paul Goldschmidt got hurt, or but if Tyler O'Neill can't return to even anything approaching form. See, I don't. And think, these young guys do not continue what they're doing okay, right now. Well, I was gonna say if the young, I was gonna say if the young guys continue what they're doing, I'm yeah. not sure that's the case. Now, if they end up going cold and they end up falling off the table a little like bit, if Donovan's then, yeah. hitting 260 and doesn't have a whole lot of power as we get closer to the trade deadline, and Tyler O'Neill is still not even close to what he was last year. At that point in time, maybe you do look to acquire somebody that can play left field that yeah. has a little bit more pop for you. Okay, yeah, that I would agree. Be the only that. scenario. Those are the two that I can see where it's that, or you have Goldschmidt or Arnado go down with injury. Otherwise, I think they are going to be in the pitching market. Now, what? What direction is it going to be that they're going to be in the pitching market? I think it would probably be more likely a reliever, but it does come to what Jack Flaherty looks like when he returns from injury. Also, they can't take Steven Matz out of the rotation, but I do think Steven Matz is the other one, too, to keep an eye on. If he continues to struggle, they can't replace him in the rotation, but maybe they look for uh, more of a length person in the bullpen to add to the mix as well. I 
they're not going to go through this season and not add anybody at the trade deadline. I just don't see that happening. It's probably going to be something small or just a big-name reliever. That feels like the kind of trade deadline right now what the Cardinals are probably planning on doing. I know sometimes we get upset with the the wins above replacement. People will push back against that stat, and I get it. I, I It's a flawed statistic. I'm with everybody on that. But sometimes it does kind of match what we're watching with the eye test. And in recent years, the Cardinals have had a lot of solid players, but not a whole lot of superstars. And this year, that has changed in a big way, Alex. And I'm bringing this up right now because Tommy Edmond is a part of it. If you look at wins above replacement in the National League, among the top six guys so far this year in the entire National League in wins above replacement, the Cardinals have three of them. Three of the top six. Right now, the top three are Mookie Betts, Manny Machado, and Paul Goldschmidt. At four is Tommy Edmond. At five is Francisco Lindor, and at six, you've got Nolan Arenado. So three of the six most valuable players, according to one statistic, wins above replacement, which I do think matches up with the eye test so far this year. Three of the top six players in the National League so far this season have been playing for your St. Louis Cardinals, and one of them is Tommy Edmond. <laughs> that is absurd, man. Like, I I just, I, I thought that we had kind of seen the peak of what he was going to be, and this year he has taken what he was previously, and he's just made it that much better. He didn't have a good walk rate. Now he's walking about 10% of the time. He didn't hit for a ton of power. He now has five home runs in the first 50 games of the season. I thought he had maxed out what he could do on the bases, and this year he's on pace for 40 stolen bases. I thought he was just a gold glove defender at second, and that was going to be it because he's not great in the outfield. Nope. He's also going to be a really good defender at shortstop for you as well now. Anything you ask this guy to do, it seems like he's capable of. I love everything about the way he plays for this team. And the thing is, this season so far, it's been highlighted by Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt for how they've played. But the funny thing is the underlier between all of this has been Tommy Edmond. Like Arenado has been hot and cold. Paul Goldschmidt started off cold and now has gotten hot. Tommy Edmond has maintained stable this entire time, which I think is actually more impressive than the numbers Paul Goldschmidt has put up and Nolan Arenado have put up because those have become expected. Exactly. And Tommy Edmond just continues to fly underneath the radar for this team, which is very impactful. He's Alex. That's Tanner. I'm Brandon. Let's get into a game coming up on the other side Alex this offseason is going to be fascinating for so many different reasons for your St. Louis Blues one of which is because they have a whole lot of guys that are entering contract years this includes Ryan O'Reilly Vladimir Tarasenko Jordan Kai Robert Thomas and Ivan Barbashev let's play a game of extend trade or let it ride on the other side here on 101 ESPN we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN Play game, Alex. What is this? Saw? Extend, trade, or let it ride? Is this like the uh, bargain brand of Tinder Tuesday? More or less, yeah. That's true. We'll do one tomorrow. Option instead of a two-way option. (laughs) Let's start with Ryan O'Reilly. The reason why we're playing this game is because the Blues are going into the offseason with a number of players entering the final year of their deals, whether it be hitting restricted free agency or unrestricted free agency after the 22-23 season. It starts with Ryan O'Reilly, the captain for the St. Louis Blues. He has one year left under contract, Alex. He's 31 years old. He's going to cost you $7.5 million next year. <laughs> are you going to extend Ryan O'Reilly this offseason, trade Ryan O'Reilly this offseason? Let's be honest, not an option. Or let it ride and see what happens going into the offseason next year. Um, I'd like to extend him. 
But I think in reality, it's going to be let it ride into the offseason. This offseason. Mostly because, like, Doug Armstrong, I'm sure, is going to want to get things like that taken care of so he doesn't have to worry about it. But in all reality, he's got other tasks to worry about. You've got David Perron to figure out. You've got some restricted free agents to figure out. And you're going to be looking at adding in a couple of areas for this upcoming offseason. You know your captain's here. I'm sure the conversations start. And I know everyone's talking about how Ryan O'Reilly is going to be too expensive. In all reality, Ryan O'Reilly has seen the sacrifices by certain individuals on this team that have said, you know what, I'm going to go team first in this madness rather than think about me getting paid. He would deservedly make close to eight, nine million on the open market, even him being 32 years old when he's an unrestricted free agent. But I think if I'm Doug Armstrong, I approach him, find out if there's an extension there. But in all reality, it's going to be let it ride and you handle it next year. Yeah, that's where I am, too. I would like to get a contract extension done with him. But I think the what the Blues are actually going to do is it is going to be let it ride. I think you got to figure out, especially if you're going to go big fish game hunting here, where you're going to go after the uh, potentially Jacob Chikrins or the Matthew Kachucks. you got to see what everything looks like after the dominoes have fallen this offseason before you figure out what Ryan O'Reilly's next deal could potentially look like. So I think the Blues are going to let this one ride with Ryan O'Reilly. I would explore an extension this offseason. If O'Reilly is... So one thing that's going to be necessary on this, most likely, is a no-move clause. Oh, we're done. We're see, I don't, I don't think it is going to be. I don't know, man. I, like, he... I, I, in all reality, I don't know either. All I know is the mindset from Doug Armstrong. I mean, he told us this at OB Clark's and we've heard it. He feels like that a no movement clause gives a player more power over an organization, which he doesn't believe in. But like, I don't know if that's going to be necessary for Ryan O'Reilly. And maybe I'm in the dark in this and maybe I, I but Ryan O'Reilly has seen this method, this model. And like, is that what's going to keep him from signing with the Blues? If they say, we want you back, you're our captain, you're going to be here. I I just don't believe that's going to be the holding piece by Ryan O'Reilly. If it's not Ryan O'Reilly, then it will be Matthew Kachuk. Like, if you're going to get in on those sweepstakes, I can guarantee you Matthew Kachuk's going to want a no-move clause. Oh, yeah. Guaranteed. Did Brady get one? Uh, I'm not sure on that. I'll look look it up. up. I'll look it up while you're talking. So, eventually, they're going to have to give in on that. I don't know if it's with Ryan O'Reilly this year or next year or if it's somebody in the future, but eventually there will be a player that they deem to be worthy of that no-move clause. Brady did not get one, by the way. He did not. Okay. I would bet Matthew will want one. And if he is going to get one, I think the Blues would say okay because eventually you got to. So if there is any player on the roster right now that I would be willing to give that no-move clause to, it would be Ryan O'Reilly, your captain, to keep him here. And maybe the trade-off is, Alex, you give him that no-move clause to be able to take down that as your average annual value. Maybe instead of being a $7 million deal the next time around, it's closer to 6 because he got that no-move clause and he feels more comfortable with that. I don't know how the negotiations are going to go, but if he said it's going to be, what, 31 years old next year, I want a five-year deal six million dollars per season i think i would give serious consideration oh, to signing that this off if that's what he wants i'm giving it to him right now hands down I, i'm you don't even need to talk anymore where do i sign so the comp is probably P- patrice bergeron who signed his last deal at the age of 28 he got eight years on it that took him through his age 36 season and his contract is worth an average of 6.8 million dollars it's gonna be probably right around that if you're ryan o'reilly i would think so too so six and a half ish plus I, per I would year. Look, I would look at a Braden Shen contract 
with maybe a little bit more incentives that go into it. But what Braden Shen signed is what I can see Ryan O'Reilly signing. I, I just, for the whole, whole no movement clause thing, I, I just think that is a mindset from the GM. And if players want to play for St. Louis, I think they know that going in. And it's kind of it's kind of the way that the entire roster is formed. Like everyone that is meaningful has the no trade clause. He will give those out. The no movement clause just aren't going to happen. And somebody says, what is the difference between the no trade and the no move? The no move means you cannot be exposed in the expansion you draft. Be bought you out. can't be bought up and you can't be sent down to the minors or waived. So basically, you're going to be here yeah, for the extent part of, the team. of this contract. And that was the mindset that Doug Armstrong spoke about at Obi Clark's with myself and Chris Kerber, saying like the mindset he has always had, this was back in his time with the Dallas Stars, is a player should not have more say over an organization than an owner. I'm on extend. You guys both say let it ride. I, I, I'm on yeah. starting the conversation with extend, but at the end of the day, I think you let it ride. Next one up is Vladimir Tarasenko. One year left on his contract, $7.5 million next year. He is 30 years old. He'll be 31 in the 2022 season. Alex, are you extending Vladimir Tarasenko? Are you trading Vladdy? Or are you letting this thing ride one more time before he hits unrestricted free agency? Man, this is tough because for how well he's played, it really just seems to be you're letting it ride, but I think I'm going to trade him. I, I, what Vladdy did this season was admirable to say the least, because there was a lot of variance that went into this and maybe he is happy here, but if a team is looking at Vladdy in this off season and saying, man, what a player he was for the blues. We might need to buy high. Might be the perfect opportunity for Doug Armstrong to look at it and say, well, there's a lot of other options for us. If we do move on from Vladdy, I think you let him, I think you trade him and see if you can continue your upgrade of this team. I'm with you. I, I think you look at trading Vladimir Tarasenko because you look for the upgrade in this team. Also, as you mentioned, the value is higher coming off of what he's had multiple shoulder surgeries. There's no guarantee he gets back to what he was last year. And if he gets hurt again, his value just goes down. And honestly, even if he plays out this contract and he plays through next season with the Blues, I just can't see a scenario in which he is brought back here to St. Louis. So I, I think the scenario for Vladimir Tarasenko is, is you look for a trade and you trade him and try and improve your team. That salary spot is just so valuable for the Blues. If you end up with Vladdy on the roster next year, it limits the amount of creativity and flexibility you can have in the offseason. And that goes for both what you can add on the blue line and also up front. I like Vladdy. This team is better with Vladdy on it than if you don't replace him. But if you're going to go out there and be able to make a significant trade to add a Kachuk or somebody else that we're not thinking of right now, those guys are going to start popping up over the next month or so. I think this is the time to do it. Unfortunately, I do think this offseason is probably the time where you start looking at it. You say, Vladdy's never going to have more value than he does right now as a 30 to 31-year-old player that's coming off of a career year. I think this is the offseason, unfortunately, to trade Vladdy. The next one's really interesting. Jordan Cairo. Given the season he just had, where the first half looked like a legit all-star caliber player, second half, it was a little more of a struggle. And then in the playoffs, it was a whole lot of like the entire season just compressed down into two series for you where there were moments of greatness and moments where it was like, oh my gosh, uh, can he be on the ice right now? Alex, are you extending trading or letting it ride? Jordan Kyra. Letting it ride. 
Um, and, and he's an RFA. He's not yeah. an unrestricted free agent after next year. And by let it ride, what I mean by this is see what happens this offseason. If people call you and the deal is in front of you and you say, we can't pass this up, then you make the move. But if not, Jordan Cairo is going to be a valuable asset to this team next year and for years to come. I know he had a rough season, but let's also remember this was his first 82 game season in the National Hockey League. Last year was 56 games. And prior to that, in the American Hockey League, he had a shortened season because of his injury. So one thing we know about Craig Berube and his staff is they take a young player and they give him direction on what to do in the offseason and say, we need you to be better here. They go into the offseason, they get better there, they come back and they're a more complete player. If you don't believe me, go look at what Robert Thomas turned into over the last couple of years. So I'm going to let this one ride. I'm not going to give him an extension. If I'm extending somebody, I'm sure we'll get to him and we'll talk about it, but it's Robert Thomas. For Cairo, I'm going to let it ride and see what happens this offseason. I'm with you. I think I'm going to let it ride with Jordan Cairo because I I believe that there is going to be a second-year step in terms of a second full year for Jordan Cairo where you're not going to see as many inconsistencies that you saw this year. I mean, the guy was an all-star. There's no no doubting his skill level. It's just a matter of making sure he puts the pieces together for a full 82-game season and gets stronger, I think, on the puck when he gets to postseason time. I think you let it ride. Now, I wouldn't turn down a trade offer if someone comes up and it's just a trade that just blows me away. And sure, then I'll discuss the trade. But otherwise, I think you let it ride with Jordan Cairo here in St. Louis. I'm letting it ride as well, barring a big trade being offered to me. If maybe it's not specifically going towards Calgary, but if I have to trade Cairo and Tarasenko to open up the salary slots to be able to acquire Matthew Kachuk, I'm doing it. I'm willing to make that kind of a big move this offseason if that's what it takes. And in all reality, I'd love for you to find a general manager who wouldn't take that deal. It, you're giving up a lot. Like You're giving up a 30-plus goal scorer perennially in Vladimir Tarasenko when he's healthy and a guy that could become a 30-goal scorer perennially at the age of 23. Like He's just about to enter his prime. So you're giving up a lot to be able to acquire that guy. But you're also acquiring a 100-point player in his prime. So, yeah, that's when I would do it. But barring that, I would let it ride. The next one's where I'm definitely extending. Robert Thomas entering the final year of this deal. He's going to have restricted free agency rights going into next season. He's 22 years old. He will be 23 by the time next year starts. I'm extending Robert Thomas this offseason. Yep. Six and a half-ish million dollars on a per-year basis, something like that. It's probably what I would be looking at. And I want him for as long as they can possibly get that deal done with. Yeah, I'm extending him also, but I I wonder if the next extension is going to be something that takes him up to the year 26. And then they do the Patrice Bergeron deal. deal. Something like that, because again, the salary cap, I'm assuming Doug Armstrong is going to be looking at players that they're extending and saying, hey, we can do this now, or we can do this in a couple of years where there's more money on the table available towards you, and you can make a bigger case to get more money. So I'm extending Robert Thomas. If he wants to go long-term, great. Otherwise, I might talk to him and say, hey, look, let's give you something to get you to 25, 26 years old. By then, we're probably looking at a really long-term extension. You're a franchise player. We're keeping you around, but let's just do something to lock it up. I'm with you guys. I would look to extend Robert Thomas. I would probably try to go the shorter route first, if possible, and then you can talk later on in the future about going I'm always in on like yeah, ten-year ten year deals. Contract. I know. I get it. You I know. get a ten-year deal, and you get a ten-year hey, deal, and you get a ten-year deal. If there was deal. one player I was going to do it with, it would be Robert Thomas. But the only reason I would sit there and say, like, I'm from Doug Armstrong's perspective, when Ryan O'Reilly calls it a career, you'll be our captain. 
Like, I think that's pretty evident when you look at this roster. And you'd be due more money in that circumstance. Do you want to get that money now and be underpaid? Or do you want to get paid more when you were around that age? We're all on the same page. Yeah. You got to extend this guy. You figure it out this offseason. That would be probably the number two priority because it's less pressing. Number one would be extending David Perron. David Perron. Mm-hmm. You get him his money, figure out what that looks like under the cap. And then that honestly, the, the other moves that they make this offseason might dictate which of those extensions you end up giving out to Robert Thomas. Mm-hmm. All right. Final one. Ivan Barbashev. It's entering the final year of his contract next year. He will be an unrestricted free agent. He is 26 years old. He will turn 27 during the 2022 season. He's going to make $2.2 million next season. Alex, are you extending, trading, or letting it ride with Ivan Barbashev? I'm letting it ride. Um, And this is kind of the similar situation with Jordan Cairo. If somebody calls and makes me a deal I can't pass up, then I'll trade. But I'm not actively looking to trade him this offseason because the one thing that this team was was viewed as is a deep team offensively. And you lose some of that depth if you move on from Ivan Barbashev. So I'm not going to trade him. I'm going to let it ride. See, I would look to potentially (laughs) trade Ivan Barbashev. Because I'm not sure, he, I don't. I'm not sure his value is going to ever get this high once again. And he's got what is it, about three million dollars that he's in terms of salary. Two point two five. Yeah, we did just say that. Not a big deal. It's okay. Sorry, I'm over here doing something else. But I, I, I would look <laughs> to trade Ivan. Listening to the show, I would, I would look to trade Ivan Barbers. If you can clear about two million dollars in cap space, help improve the team for this year. And again, I'm just not sure you're going to get him at a. His ceiling is never going to be higher, in my opinion, in terms of looking at his trade value. This is one of my Chikrin pieces. If I'm going to trade for Jacob Chikrin this offseason, who I think is like the best case scenario, everything else is on the spectrum, right? Of from the best to the worst possible answers. I think your worst case scenario, and this is not a bad situation, but your worst case scenario is bringing back Nick Letty this offseason as a left-handed defenseman to play for you. Again, that'd be fine. You feel good about it, but that's the worst case scenario. Best is probably to me, Jacob Chikrin. And in that scenario, I'd like to include an Ivan Barbashev to be able to make the money work. I think that you can replace his spot on the roster with Jake Neighbors. Maybe a Bullduke comes up and plays there for you. Maybe a Torpchenko is kind of that type of a player. He doesn't have the same offensive upside as what you saw this year from Barbie. But I think you could make do without Barbashev on your roster while including him because he has valued other teams in a trade that I do believe makes you better. So there you go. Extend, trade, or let it ride. What do you guys have? 65780 is your comfort service text line if you all want to get involved in the show. Coming up next, though, I believe the last 12 games for both teams shows the divide that is growing between the Cardinals and the Brewers and why the Cardinals will catch the Brewers before too long. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Impact swinging for impact is this Sunday evening out of Top Golf. You can join Adam Wainwright, Tommy Edmond, and some of your favorite Cardinals players for a fun evening over at Top Golf. It's all in support of Big League Impact. It's supported by Spectrum, Anna and Matt McDonald, RTP Outdoors, and Crestside Ballwin Heating and Cooling. Get all the details on swinging for impact at 101ESPN.com. Speaking of Adam Wainwright and the Cardinals, Alex, I'm feeling pretty good about how they stand within this central division right now. In the last 
last 12 games is a big reason why. The Cardinals and the Brewers have essentially had the exact same schedule over their last 12. The Cardinals played the Brewers in that stretch, and then they had games against San Diego and Chicago. The same was true for the Brewers coming to St. Louis and then going out to Chicago and then playing their last four games. They lost three of four against San Diego. In this stretch, Alex, the Brewers are five and seven. Most importantly, they scored a total of nine runs over their four games against the San Diego Padres. They're hitting 215 in this stretch. Their rotation plus bullpen, so their pitching staff as a whole, has a 3.88 ERA. In this same stretch, while the Brewers are five and seven, the Cardinals are eight and four. They scored 14 runs in their three games against San Diego, which is five more in one fewer game. That's pretty good. They're batting 250, and they have basically the exact same ERA as the Brewers do. The Cardinals have been better against the same competition than the Brewers have been. Alex, this is why, one of the many reasons, frankly, I have confidence that the Cardinals by the end of this month are going to be not just in first place in this division. They might even have a decent lead within the division by the time that we get to the end of the month of June. Yeah, and this is, in my opinion, what has been so oppressive and the difference between these two teams is Milwaukee hasn't been able to handle what has taken place with their roster and the Cardinals have. I mean, the Cardinals have lost Tyler O'Neill. They've lost Dylan Carlson. They even didn't have Paul Goldschmidt to start the season off because that bat was quiet. Nolan Arenado carried this team. They're playing all of these guys from their minors, and yet they still continue to win games. Whereas Milwaukee's dealing with injuries, and on top of it, if their best guys aren't hitting, where's the offense coming from? I mean, Christian Yelich is 0 for June right now. He does not have a hit in the month of June. I think the fact that the Cardinals have been able to battle adversity the way that they have, and now they get a little bit ease of their schedule, whereas Milwaukee's had adversity, not been able to battle it, and now they're going with a tougher schedule. This is why I'm starting to believe more and more that the Cardinals are going to win the NL Central. I mean, think about where the Cardinals are at right now and what they've, to your point, Alex, been missing. Zero starts so far this year from Jack Flaherty. Dylan Carlson, when he was healthy, had a 650 OPS. Tyler O'Neill, who was, I mean, you could make an argument, their best player last year, has a 550 OPS so far on this season. Paul DeYoung, who they placed a big bet on as their starting shortstop, his OPS was below 450. Steven Matz had a 6 ERA. The Jordan Hicks experiment in the rotation failed. And yet, despite all of that, they are 32-23. and 23. They have the fifth-best record in the National League and the ninth-best record so far this season in, in all of Major League Baseball. Let's, let's, I mean, let's do a fun experiment here. Like, you pluck. So Jack Flaherty, who, of course, is the ace, and let's say Tyler O'Neill is kind of like a Willie Adamas last year. Sure. You pluck Corbin Burns and Willie Adamas out of Milwaukee's roster right now. Do you even think this team is sitting where they're at in the NL Central? I don't. No, I mean, the, the Brewers might be around or below 500 if you did that. I, and, and that's what this team has gone through. Yeah, they don't have the quality of depth that the Cardinals do. And honestly, it would not stun me if we're talking about the end of June that the Brewers went through the Cardinals month of June from last year because it's almost reversed. Yeah, they're missing both, both situations. They're missing their two workhorses. Now they are getting Willie Adamas back, I think, some point this week, and Hunter Renfro will be back uh, here shortly. But their offense wasn't great when they had those guys in the lineup. So if you told me that in the month of June that we're going to see that reverse and Milwaukee goes through this tough stretch because their schedule is really toughening up on them. It would not stun me at all. It was not a one-off that they lost three or four to San Diego over the weekend. I mean, they were pretty much dominated in that series. I think they had back-to-back games where they were shut out. 7-0 so, and 4-0. Yeah, so they they are not the same team as they are when they have their pitchers healthy. When they have Burns, Woodruff, and Peralta all healthy, yeah, look, they can survive the lack of offense that they have. But when they miss just one of those guys, 
this team really takes a step back. And the fact of the matter that they're missing two, I'm with you guys. The Cardinals are definitely going to be taking the lead here in the NL Central. And honestly, they could start to run away with this division by the end of the month. Look at their rotation right now. Like in, in their next five games, this is the way their rotation sets up. Jason Alexander, Hauser, Burns, Ashby, Lauer. That is not the 2021 version of the Milwaukee Brewers. They won because their rotation was dominant and they could get back to the back end of their bullpen. You hand things over to arguably the best reliever in baseball and boom, you're ready to go. That was their formula. It was very simple, but it was effective. This year, they haven't been able to do that as often. And when you don't get that big time starting pitching where they're one of the very few teams that can consistently count on six plus innings out of their starters, it's not the same, man. And that formula is it's why I was so concerned about them coming into this season. That formula is very volatile. If you are counting on starting pitching as being the stalwart of your team and that stuff goes up and down. And in 2022, when these guys go to go to the IL as often as they do, you better have a really deep pitching staff or you better get contributions offensively from places where we weren't expecting it. And so far, it's been neither for the Milwaukee Brewers. Yeah, I wonder if Milwaukee, we talked trade deadline earlier with the Cardinals. I wonder if Milwaukee views this trade deadline as they are going to have to go get like a Madison Bumgarner or something like that because they do need the innings that can get them And we through. saw them last year. They had an issue at shortstop and they were super aggressive right around this time to go out and get somebody. I wonder if the Brewers in the next couple of weeks makes a surprise trade where we're like, oh, Okay, that's the move that they're going to go out there and get. That makes sense. That's interesting. I, the one if that they go after something Frankie that might Montas and give up as much. I'm not, I'm not sure if they'll go after. I understand they're dealing with the injuries to their pitching. I think they'll go look and they got to get somebody to upgrade. hit. That's the thing that they're going to look for. Yeah. I would not be stunned if they made a big push for someone that we're not talking about. I don't think they'd be in the Xander Bogarts category because they go got but, well, they've got Adamas, yeah. so that's why I don't think they'd make that. But they could make the, a, the Red Sox have been playing better too. But does Kim Bogarts play third base? I mean, he could Probably DH could. somebody. Put him at third base. They're though. gonna they're gonna make an aggressive move and add a bat. And I think part of the reason for that is because they probably view this as the last year in which they've got the core of these guys together. I think Hader's either a free agent or he's got one year left, but he's gonna make so much. And honestly, Milwaukee's probably gonna have to really deal him next off season. Yeah, and we've been talking about that for the last couple of years. Kind of surprised that they didn't decide to go down that path and. We're getting closer and closer to the year where they, they might have to. It might be necessary for them to do something like that. Alongside Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. We're hit the rewind with a big weekend for Ollie Marmel. He has officially put his stamp on the Cardinal season. We'll tell you how he did it and what it means next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. when Ollie Marmol put his stamp on to the Cardinals 2022 season. Alex, we were told all offseason, Ollie is going to go about things a little differently. And let's be honest, the first month and a half kind of looked the same in terms of his bullpen management. Most of the rules were kind of in place and you knew, okay, it's the seventh inning. We're going to get this guy. It's a good closing situation. It's going to be Helsley or Gallegos. You knew more often than not exactly how things were going to go. This weekend, all of that changed. Starting on Friday, five innings for Michaelis as your starter, and then he goes to Thompson for four innings as your reliever. He ended up getting the save in his first appearance in the big leagues. Oviedo gives you five innings in the first game on Saturday. You end up finishing that thing out with three innings out of Jake Woodford. He saved your pin. And then on uh, Saturday game two, Palante gives you four. You get two and two-thirds out of Helsley, two innings out of Gallegos. And then yesterday was the most impressive probably of them all 
Wayno goes seven, Cabrera four. He was super aggressive with his bullpen. It was out of necessity, but it's something I don't think we would have seen a year ago. And he didn't overwork guys, in my opinion, because like you didn't see the, the day off today makes that possible. Yeah, but you didn't use the majority of, oh, well, because that's what we saw. No, I mean, no shot at him, but that's what we saw with Mike Schilt. You'd have to use guys back-to-back days and overuse them. He got guys to give them extra innings than what they're used to, but you were able to give guys a little bit more of a break so you're not you're not putting a more impact on possible injuries with these guys. So I was extremely impressed by this. And for me, you made the comp to Craig Berube in the past with Ali Marmol. This was one of those Craig Berube moments where he put the faith in the players and the players showed it and backed it up. And they, he showed them what they're capable of. He's mm-hmm. apparently yesterday. Hennessy Cabrera said, I got four for you, Skip. And Holly Marmel said, all right, then we'll get four out of you. I would have given him two. <laughs> and he got four, and I'll be damned if it didn't work out. Looking forward to Cardinals versus Cubs tomorrow. Excuse me, Cardinals-Cubs is over. We need to <laughs> change that over. Oh, Mike Reimer is back tomorrow. Tanner Hendrickson is out on vacation Demo. for the next week or so. We will miss him. The fast lane's coming up next from 2 to 6, right here on 101 ESPN. He was a good lover. Oh, so good. Wow. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.